השם נעשה ונצליח. שיעור תורה, ברוך השם. We are back here in Aventura, even though I call every place Aventura. Uh, I make fun of myself about calling everything Aventura, but it's really, I must say, I really think everything is Aventura. Um, today's shiur is a continuation of our series. It's uh, very interesting how sometimes you connect to certain shiurim, certain chomel, uh, certain uh, things you study, and um, when you really want to delve into things deeper, you see that you don't know anything. All the things you knew, you realize the deeper you go into, the, the bigger the world actually is. Like I told you guys yesterday, the um, story is that when a uh, young, young boy learns Torah, he thinks he understands everything. A teenager learns Torah, he says, ah, I got the hang of it, I know a little bit, I know I understand some of it. Talmud Chacham learns Torah, he says, ah, I don't know anything. So we stride, we stride Be'ezrat Hashem to one day become Talmud Chachamim. But on the way there, there are certain midot, there are certain character traits that a person needs to acquire and work on in order to become that vessel, to become a Talmud Chacham. You can't just become a Talmud Chacham just because you read a lot of books. A lot of people read a lot of books. You know, and uh, today it's less than ever before because people read more stuff on the internet, digital things. But uh, still, the amount of reading that people do today is, uh, is extraordinary. It's a huge amount. Um, they may not read the hard copy. I saw a guy made a video. He went to a public library and it was completely empty. And he says he goes there every day and it's the same thing every day. But people still read. It's just that they read a lot of digital things. But even if you read all the digital files in the world, it's still not going to make you a Tomit Chacham. In order to acquire the, uh, the gift of becoming a Tomit Chacham, it requires Midot. It requires good Midot. Because the Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan says somebody that has the uh, so-called Tomit Chacham but doesn't have good Midot, he's not a Tomit Chacham. They just call him Tomit Chacham. He's not a Tomit Chacham. Why? If you're learning Torah and it didn't improve your Midot, that means you learned it like a philosophy book, like a history book, Chas Shalom. Like something, like a math book, like yeah, one plus one equals one, okay, so that's good. Like it doesn't Im- impact you in any way. And that's a dangerous type of Torah. So this, this specific Mishnah, I believe, I believe for me it's very, very relevant. Maybe it's relevant to some of you guys. Maybe the Shur is just for me, I'm not sure. Uh, either way, you'll join me. You're stuck here for the next couple of hours. Uh, but Bezat Hashem also will give a refuah shlema to Sarah Leah Bat Sarah. Kadosh Baruch will give a refuah shlema, refuah tanefesh, refuah taguf, to Levana Bat Sarah, to Doris Bat Jora, David Ben Esriah. Bezat Hashem will have a refuah shlema, refuah tanefesh, refuah taguf, that Elad Ben Doris will find a Zivug Agun Bezat Hashem. And uh, also will uh, do complete tshuva to uh, connect to Hashem Barach day and night and uh, to the extent where he falls in love with Hashem. And where all of us fall in love with Hashem to understand, once we un- actually understand how much it is for our best interest. Another little bit of uh, updates on things uh, with Bezat Hashem. First off, for anyone that hasn't downloaded the app, you're missing out. It's a very good app, Baruch Hashem. I actually had a couple of professional people that uh, uh, were in the business, either developed apps in the past or uh, just familiar with technology. 
Hashem, they were very, very, uh, you know, very happy with the way the app is. But today came out the update, the first update to the app. So the few new features. So a lot of you guys ask me questions in regards to what kind of books do you recommend for tshuva, for musal, for uh, uh, conversion, and so on. Baruch Hashem, we have a section now in the new updated app of recommended books. And this list will continuously increase. And to make your life easier, since we're not a store, we're not, uh, we're not Amazon, we, made, we actually gave you, Baruch Hashem, the developer is a genius, so he gave you an ability to just press on the book, and it'll take you to Amazon. And you'll buy the book and enjoy it. And uh, it has an Amazon Smile link because we have an Amazon account where every uh, $100 that somebody buys something, they donate 50 cents to Bezat Hashem. So don't worry, we're not getting rich off of your $100 worth of books. We're getting rich off your mitzvot instead. But still, you do a mitzvah and another mitzvah, why not? Uh, so we have a list of books over there recommended. This is both for Baalet Tshuva and for converts. Uh, Sidurim, the Berkot uh, Eliyahu, Perkei Avot, a few others. And the list, Bezot Hashem, will continue growing. Um, but um, the, any books that I'm going to ever add are always going to be verified books, meaning it's not just books I heard about. You know, we're not going to add any books that I heard about. Like, so if you wrote a book, don't tell me, oh, can you add my book? I'm not adding your book unless I read your book. I don't really have any time to, to read any more books. Right now, Baruch Hashem, I'm pretty packed. So if you give me a book, I'll say thank you, and one day I'll read it, but not right away. Uh, but uh, no, Bimit, I don't want people to be offended. Uh, you know, people get offended very easily today. Uh, like, uh, you know, some, some hidden agenda or something like that. I don't know. People have a lot of crazy things in their head. So the updated app has that. It also has a special sec- section right in the beginning, right at the update, you open the screen. You see a special section. You see a uh, turning Jewish star, Magen David. Why? It's a special section for extra chizuk for the walls, even Kedutshuva. Why? This is a special section that has the Bezat Hashem films. The Bezat Hashem films, the, the Kiruv movies, and a wall watches it, he does tshuva, the wall. does tshuva, these Kiruv movies. So, Baruch Hashem, we have a special section right away. Anybody that you know that's off the derech, on the derech, thinks he's on, but he's really off, off, but maybe he's on. Haven't watched these movies. They're five, ten minutes, each one of them, and I'm telling you, I myself get chizuk from them. Bemet, even though it's me speaking, uh, and half of them, Rav Ephraim speaking in the other half, still, I get chizuk from them. There's something that the uh, music does to, uh, to a neshama, that when it's used, when music is used for a holy reason, it can get a person to the highest level of Kedusha. To such an extent that I learned recently from my Rav that they said that all of the best songs, all of the best tunes that you're ever going to hear in the world were used at the Bet HaMikdash. All of them. So, my Rav told me, he's like, listen, I listened to this. Try to see if you can find out if you can use it in one of the Bezat uh, Hashem films. He says it will be a mitzvah. Right now it belongs to the Koach HaTum'ah. Right now it belongs to some guy that's using this tune. No, no actual words. But he says, I'm sure this, this, this tune was in Bet HaMikdash. He says, anyone listens to it, it does something to the Neshama. Very interesting. I said, how do you know things like this? He goes, I don't know how you know these things. I just know. It gives you a feeling. So it's very interesting what, what Kedusha music has. And these movies have this... Uh, Extraordinary siyat dishmaya, each one. 
Another thing is that we have two in the making. One of them actually is finished. One is finished, Bezat Hashem. We're just waiting for final uh, steps, hopefully within the next Bezat uh, Hashem very soon. The next movie is going to be published uh, also. Uh, and, uh, one in Hebrew, one in English. One is in English, Bezat Hashem will be uh, soon. In Hebrew also, Bezat Hashem soon. Uh, so that's coming out. Um, New York is next week, Bezat Hashem. For anyone that you know that's in New York, a lot of people always tell me that they can't wait till I come, till they can't wait till I come, and then I come, and like, oh yeah, I was busy. So the good news is that we have a bunch of lectures set up. There's uh, two on uh, Sunday, back-to-back. Uh, one in uh, Staten Island, one in, um, I believe it's Queens. Then on Monday, we have one in Queens again. Uh, should be big, Hashem, a very big lecture over there too. And then Tuesday, we have one, but there may be a second one. Hashem, and two in Brooklyn. So either way, you have an opportunity. Anywhere you are, whether you're in Jersey or you're in uh, New York or anywhere, you want to come see, learn some Divrei Torah live, it's definitely an opportunity. And if you're ever going to make a sacrifice for Torah, this is the time. This is the time. Which brings me to the last point of updates, and then we'll, can, we'll start with the Shiub, Bezat Hashem is that uh, Alona Kodesh number four is out. Alona Kodesh uh, number four is out. Bezat Hashem will publish it online later today and tomorrow. In my opinion, it's the best one. And, um, the, and on my end, in the English section, it's part three of Todal Hashem. Very, very uh, interesting breakdown of actually how to arrive at happiness and how the Yetzirah has programmed us to do everything but be happy. When an average person looks for advice because he has problems in his life, he goes to people that he thinks are smarter and wiser than him. Now if that wiser and smarter person is not a religious Jew, is not a Talmud Chacham, then he will always be disappointed. It'll never fail. He'll always eventually be disappointed by this secular advice simply because the secular advice is man-made and therefore limited. So the best he can do is tell you, ah, it's going to be okay. You can do it. It could be worse. Ah, the grass is greener on the other side. These are the types of advices that We've acclimated ourselves to accept. We've acclimated ourselves to think to such an extent when somebody asks you, how are you? Like, what do you say? Not bad. Why does it have to be bad? Why can't it be Baruch Hashem? We say not bad. Why? Because the Yetzirah has programmed us to become miserable with our current situation as a status quo. You're miserable with your current situation but hopeful that the future is going to be better. That's the status quo. Someone that does not have Torah is naturally miserable, but hopeful for the future. The problem is that the same system, the same system that he's using today that's causing him to be miserable is the system he's using to be happy in the future, meaning it's not possible. And that's the reason why the vast majority of mankind cannot attain happiness. It's not that they don't attain happiness, they can't with the exception of momentary happiness. Momentary, it's like like happy. You know, like they have, uh, for example, there's meat, 
and there's like like meat, there's like tofu. It tastes like meat. It's quite, actually quite delicious if you get the kosher kind, but it's not actually meat. It's not actually meat, bemit, but it's like meat. Now, if what you want is tofu, shrecha, enjoy. I like it. Recently started having tofu. I like it a lot. It's easy on my stomach. But if you're thinking that you're eating meat, but you find out it's tofu, you feel a little cheated. You feel a little cheated. Now, if your whole year you're waiting for this, like you're waiting for happiness, but all you got is like happiness. It's like a fake happy. It's like pleather. You know, you thought you bought a nice leather jacket for $500 back in the 1980s when you guys probably weren't even born yet. You know, you bought a, yourself a, light, uh, you know, a leather jacket, you find out that it's pleather. It's plastic. It's not leather. It's disappointing. But that's the typical happiness that a human being has today. They have like happiness. It's momentary happiness that is usually dependent on variables they cannot control. Things like money, things like, you know, a, a job, hired, fired, momentary things, meaning that happiness today has turned into an adrenaline rush. You know what an adrenaline rush is? Anyone that played sports or is a soldier or anything like that knows that if you're in the, in the heat of the game, you get hurt. But you don't feel it. I remember when I was a kid, I used to play football. And each person pretty much is battling to win, but at the same time trying to kill the other guy. Now, it hurts, but you don't feel it. Unless it's a really, really bad injury, you usually don't feel the pain. Why? Because you have so much adrenaline in your system that you're too busy focusing on the prize. You're too busy focusing on what's happening right now. And it doesn't register. It doesn't register in your brain until after the game, until you calm down. Happiness has become that. You have a momentary rush. You have a momentary rush of something happened. You just got a bunch of money. You just met some woman. You just met some guy. You just uh, got a job. Yeah, I don't know, something. Something happened. It's um, something that's really beyond your control. But something happened, somebody told you a joke. You feel like somebody telling you a joke, you start laughing, oh, that means you're happy. No, it just means you think it's funny. It doesn't mean you're happy. But people confuse adrenaline rushes with happiness. It's obviously not an adrenaline rush, I'm just using that as a figure of speech or an analogy. But the point is, Abutai, is that people are so confused with happiness, they have no idea what it is. Happiness is something that's supposed to just be. Always. You wake up, happy. You sleep, happy. You have problems, happy. You have good things, happy. Imagine, you're happy just all the time. Why? I'm just happy. I'm a happy person. Why? Because I'm happy. Because everything's good. Yeah, but I just heard that the IRS sent you a uh, lien on your account and uh, you have no money in the account. Yeah, Bo Hashem. Ah, but I just heard that uh, your wife... Uh, yeah, Bo Hashem. Yeah, but your kids, they weren't accepted in the school. And yeah, Baruch Hashem. What do you mean? What Baruch Hashem? Why, is it, why are you blessing Hashem for all the promise you give me? Why should I, what should I do? What do you mean? He gave it to me. What's the problem? A happy person does not understand why you have a problem with his problems. Why? Why? It's not problems? It's problems. 
No, no, he doesn't have a problem. He has problems. Problem. Usually the happy people have more problems. What's the difference? The difference is, Rabotai, is that the happy person knows where they're coming from, knows how to treat them, knows how to deal with them, and has reprioritized his mind in a certain way that he knows that happiness and problems technically have nothing to do with each other. Unlike the traditional person that measures their happiness based on other people, what do they think of him or what do they have or what they don't have, the happy person knows that the status quo of happiness has to do simply with him. Him and him alone. So the article talks, this was the first paragraph. The article talks more about this as we start trying to do over the last couple of articles, Baruch Hashem. And it's very interesting to, uh, to see sources from the Torah of what is possible for us as far as happiness for all these people that say, you know, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, all that stuff, all the, for those happy people. It's a good way to find out if you're really happy. This is, while at the same time it's a slap in the face to wake you up out of the sleep that you're in, at the same time it's telling you, wait, you know what, There's a ch- I have a chance. I have a chance to be happy. Why? Because now I know how. Now I know how. And I don't need to go to a psychiatrist and spend 400 bucks an hour. Free. Same price. So, we'll talk maybe a little bit more about it later today. But the alone will be out Be'ezot Hashem later today um, uh, or tomorrow. Uh, and uh, it has uh, some interesting things. On the other end, and actually the reason why I even brought up this point, is because Rosh Chodesh Elul is in a few days. As Rabbi Mizrahi always says in his lectures in the previous generations, when Elul would come, the Gabai of the Bet Knesset would say, Rabotai, Elul is here. And certain people that had a high level of Yirat Shamayim would simply fall over and pass out from fear. Why fear? They realized that they only have 30 days to do tshuva. Now any normal person that understands what tshuva is realizes that 30 days is not nothing, it's below nothing. Unfortunately, we are in a generation that we actually believe miracles when it comes to tshuva, but no miracles when it comes to parnasah. Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer, one of the Talmidim of Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, writes in O Yisrael, and he says it's, it's un- unbelievable how people believe that they can do tshuva in one day. And Hashem is going to forgive everything. There's no source for it, but they believe such miraculous things can happen. But you tell them, What's your, why, why, why you work uh, so much? Oh, you do panasah. He's like, how come you, you don't believe in the same miracles for panasah? You don't believe that Hashem is going to send you the money even with this, without it, or whether you don't believe. Oh, I'm doing ishtadlut. This is almost 200 years ago, Rabotai. The problem already existed back then. 150 years ago. Meaning that we believe miracles with no source, but the miracles that do have a source, we don't believe. Now the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat it uh, talks about all types of miracles. And it's actually one of the sources of why a person, or that a person needs to do tshuva. Mahama Sechet Shabbat, page 153, says, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, 
שוב יום אחד לפני מיטתך. שאלו תלמידיו של רבי אליעזר, וכי אדם יודע איזהו יום ימות? אמר להם, וכל שכן ישוב היום, שמא ימות למחר, ונמצא כל ימיו בתשובה. אז רבי אליעזר says, do תשובה a day before you die. This is the part that every secular or religious person knows. That's the first part. Do tshuva one day before you die. Why? Oh, so that means I can do tshuva one day. Or oh, they hear the stories of uh, Rabbi Dordia. He did tshuva and uh, he uh, cried himself to death. Oh, look, he did tshuva one day. And his famous ma'amarim, uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Udanasi said, oh, that some people buy their olam by in one day and so on, in one moment. So we explained this a little bit yesterday or the day, maybe, I think a few days ago someone asked me this question, is that if you can cry yourself to death, then you can do tshuva in one day. Meaning if you can die from crying because of all the sins that you've made, then yes, you could be like, uh, you could be like him. But the reality is most guys, you tell them to cry, they tell why, did I lose any money? No, 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 I didn't lose any money. Why, uh, my wife's leaving? No, no, your wife's, oh, Hashem, she's still here. Oh, my kid, something? No, no, nothing. Cry, cry for Churban Bet HaMikdash. What? The Churban, the, uh, the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. What, what, what? What happened? No, it got destroyed. Oh, yeah, it was 2,000 years ago. Yeah, you need to cry. You need to cry. How often? When? when? Every day. Tikun Chatzot, cry. No? Okay, well, how about you cry, cry a little bit, maybe? Antisha Be'av. Why am I crying, I ask you? It happened 2,000 years ago. Why should I cry about it? Average person has a hard time crying, especially men. That's why it makes me jealous from women sometimes. They cry. It's like an like on button. On cry, off cry, on cry, off cry. Constant. Just make sure whenever you cry, Rabbi Fahim says, if you're going to cry already, make sure you cry for the tzarot of Am Yisrael. Make sure you're crying for your nonsense problems, whatever they are that cause you to cry. Your husband has an attitude. Your kids have an attitude. They don't want to eat. They don't want to put the shoes on. Whatever cause you to cry, because women are emotional sometimes, especially with hormones and so on. He says, just do a mitzvah. You're crying for the shoes and the flowers and the husband, all that stuff. Just add a little bit. Cry for Am Yisrael. Why? Because the sharim and shamayim, they don't open all the time. But there's one shah that's always open. There's one gate that's always open. What? The gate of tears. It's always open. So now you're going to cry, cry, cry. You're going to, tears go up to Shema. Like, Hello? So the Malachim are going to open the door for you. Yes. They say, oh, you're crying. No, what can we do for you? Oh, you're crying for shoes? They didn't fit you? What, what do you want us to do? What, what exactly do you want us to do with the shoes now? What? What's, what, what you, you're here. You're right. The tears, the tears arrived all the way from here. Couple of thousand light years away, you arrived in Shamaim, and okay, how can we help you? Oh yeah, my kid doesn't want to eat. Right? So at least if you're gonna knock on the door in Shamaim, have something useful to say. Cry for Am Israel, cry for for, for the Khilul Hashem. Cry for, for, for the terrible, terrible level of Torah that we're at right now. We don't own anything, we know nothing. We think Noah is some movie actor or something. Cry for stuff like that. Cry for Am Yisrael doesn't keep Shabbat. Cry for things like that. Cry for your kids. Maybe they'll become Tamidei Chachamim. Cry for you to become a Tamid Chacham. That's something useful. Okay, cry for the shoes too. I'm not saying don't cry for the shoes. And the flowers and the attitude and all that other stuff. Cry, enjoy. But at least remember Am Yisrael. So now, 
for all of those that think that you can cry, yes, if you can cry to death like he did, you can do tshuva one day. But the reality is most of us can't even cry for real reasons. So Rabbi Eliezer says, do tshuva a day before you die. So he also at the same time answers the question, if you read the rest of this uh, Mishnah. So Tamidim of Rabbi Eliezer say to him, for the Rav, does a person actually know when he's going to die? And he says exactly, to the contrary. My teaching applies even more so because he doesn't know when he's going to die. No one knows when he's going to die. Even David the Melech didn't know when he's going to die. He asked Hashem, Hashem, when am I going to die? He says, I can't tell you. He says, can you at least tell me a day? He says, you're going to die on Shabbat. So David the Melech says, this Shabbat? Can't tell you. Next Shabbat? Can't tell you. So that's why at the end of every Shabbat, if David the Melech survived Shabbat, you would do Suda. That's where we have the fourth meal now. We do a fourth meal. That's what David the Melech started. He would celebrate with like a Sudat Odaya. Thank you, Hashem. I survived another. Because he knew now, if I survive Shabbat, I have a whole week now. A whole week of learning Torah, a whole week of doing mitzvot, a whole week of sanctifying Hashem's name. He would celebrate. That's why if you actually look at the Yakut Yosef, the Chachamim say, Sudat Revi'it, the fourth meal, which is after Motzei Shabbat, is supposed to be bigger than the third meal. Sometimes we eat so many meals in between, we don't really know if it's the fourth, fifth, fortieth. Leave some space for the fourth meal. But the point is, is that Rabbi Eliezer says that because a person does not know whether he's going to die or not, this teachings applies even more so. Because he doesn't know, therefore he should do tshuva every single day. Because maybe he'll die today, maybe tomorrow, maybe another 120 years. Either way, when you show up in Shemaim, show up with something. Show up with some tshuva. Show up with Shabbat. Show up with a few masichtot, a few shas. Show up with a book. Show up with a chidush. Show up with some tzadikim that you have left in your life behind. That's about Hashem, the old tamidei chachamim already. They have families, the old frum. Everybody's good. Show up with something. But if you're still not really sure if you're going to keep Shabbat or not, what are you going to do? You show up to Shabbat. Oh, Hashem, yeah, I didn't know I was going to get here so soon. Can I go to Gan Eden? You know, yo, what, what do you mean Gan Eden? You know that place I heard Moshe Rabbeinu is there, Rabbi Akiva. All of those tzaddikim. Can I go there too? What do you think Hashem is going to say? Yes, you really think that, honestly. Somebody actually think Hashem is going to say yes? Honestly, you really think Hashem is going to say yes? You didn't keep Shabbat, you didn't keep mitzvot. Talk like Shonara non-stop. Chilul Hashem non-stop. Never learned any Torah. First time you ever met Hashem was in Shemaim. You really think Hashem is going to say, honestly, I'm asking, honestly, do people actually think this? You're just going to show up to Shemaim and say, oh yeah, yeah, sure, come in. Gan Eden, show with Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Akiva. That sacrifice their life, you could go in the same place. Like, honestly, people think like this? The truth is, they don't. Unless they're crazy. And if they're crazy, they're patufa mitzvot. They may go to Gan Eden anyway. But... The truth is, they don't. So how come they still sin against Hashem? It's because we don't think. It's because we don't think. We don't ever take the time to think about what is Ritzon Hashem. What does Hashem actually want? So, one of the reasons 
is because just like Paro kept Am Yisrael busy, that it says in the book of Exodus that Am Yisrael did not listen to Moshe Rabbeinu. And the reason why is because Paro, after he saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was in town, he started making them work harder. So, so the Pasuk says that Am Yisrael became, was too busy with working, too busy with doing stuff, too mentally occupied, physically occupied, they didn't have time to listen to Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah, but he's the prophet, he's going to save you, he's a this. I don't have time to prophet, to save you, nothing. You want to do something, you're on your own, buddy. Paro just gave us more work. Paro just gave us more material. So we're so busy chasing material, sometimes we don't have the time to think about Ganeden, Geinom, where, who, what, when, how. And that's why the Rambam says in the Chot Tshuva, a person must have schut, must actually have merit to do tshuva. He must have merit to do tshuva. So people ask, well, if Hashem was so unhappy with me, if Hashem was so unhappy with me, why don't He just tell me by, uh, you know, taking all the money away, causing problems, all this stuff, just... Because that would take away your free choice. Now you read in your tefillah in Mincha something very interesting that maybe you saw, but I'll remind you of it. That David Melech here says in Teilim, the same Teilim that everyone knows by heart, Poteach et Yadecha, O Maspia Lechol Chayratzon, Hashem opens his arms and he, and he feeds, provides sustenance to all of the living beings according to their need. Here we have a very famous Pasuk that clearly tells us that Hashem provides the needs for everyone. So you would think, okay, so if he provides the needs for everyone, then the Rashaim will be poor and the Tzadikim will be rich. Would make perfect sense. Okay, he says, he says that he provides for everyone. He's not going to just kill everyone. He didn't create them to kill them. He wants to give people an opportunity to do tshuva. So if they're Tzadikim, automatically they're rich. If they're Rashaim, automatically they're poor. Why? Because he promised to provide sustenance to everyone. But he didn't say, why should he give a lot of money to the rich, to the to the Rishayim. If anything, you should uh, you know take away their money, right? That's why you have to read the rest of this Tehilim, where it says Tehilat Adonai the Berpi, the praise of Hashem. I'm going to declare with my own mouth to bless His name. That my mouth will bless all of the flesh with His holy name forever. So, David HaMelech is trying to tell us that he's trying to emulate Hashem. He says, just like I am singing this song to Hashem, the tunes that David HaMelech have, we don't have in the world anymore today. I'm trying to emulate Hashem. Bless all of mankind. Anyone that's going to read this, this tefillah will get special merits in Shamayim for Parnassah, for good things, for sustenance, and so on and so forth. But why? Where did I learn this from? I learned this from Hashem. Why? It's not that He just you know, provides sustenance to every person. He gives blessing to every person. Meaning, even if he's a Rasha, he still gets blessing. Even the Rasha still gets blessing. Sometimes he gets blessings because of certain good deeds that he did himself. 
Sometimes he gets blessings because of an ancestor that did good deeds. But the scariest version, which we wrote about in Alona Kodesh, I think, a week or two ago, is when someone gets a blessing as a form of punishment. But here we see that your financial account, your bank account, is not necessarily the best indication of whether you're on the good list or the bad list. In fact, it can be very confusing. And this week's parasha, Parashat Re'e, Hashem summarizes every single thing that we just said. He says, see, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. He doesn't say a blessing or a curse. He says, I present before you a blessing and a curse, meaning it's a package deal. Everyone gets a blessing, everyone gets a curse. The blessing that you hearken the commandments of Hashem, your God, that I command you today. And the curse, if you do not hearken to the commandments of Hashem, your God, and you stray from the path that I command you today to follow gods of others that you did not know. Hashem Barach literally tells you it's a, uh, it's a package deal. There's no, it's either a blessing or it's a curse. It's both at all times. So what's the difference? How, how do we know if the guy is tzaddik or rasha? The guy is tzaddik or rasha is how does he treat the blessings in his life? How does he treat the curses in his life? If he's tzaddik, he's happy with both. If he's rasha, he's unhappy with both. If he's tzaddik, he knows the blessing came from only from Hashem. It cannot come from anywhere else. Some person that trusts another person, he thinks that some guy made him rich because he bought him a ticket or he gave him a job, or he gave him a contract, or whatever it is, or he inherited some money, or whatever it is, he thinks somebody made him rich, Hashem says you're cursed. You're cursed. Hashem and what kind of problems a person has when he actually thinks people are making him rich. His customer made him rich. Avraham Avinu was so scared of it, that even when the king of Sodom said, listen, this really is according to the Yon Torah, of Metziah, it says you're entitled to it. You're entitled to the uh, to all the rewards that you get as the spoils of war. You won the war. Here's the spoils. Just give me the people. Avram says, no, 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 no. I don't even want a uh, shoestring from you. I don't want anything from you. Why? Chas v'shalom, you can tell people you made Avram rich. I don't want anything from you. Don't thank you. People think, well, I trust some man, some gay. No, no, only, I only want to get my panasach Hashem. So, a person that is a tzaddik understands that the panasa can only come from Hashem. If he's a tzaddik and he understands it, then it makes it easier for him to be happy with his share, as what we talked about in the article, but most importantly, happy with the problems that he gets because he knows that even those have some purpose in the world. They have a purpose, they have a positive purpose, they have a good purpose, a necessary purpose. And he treats them as something that is also a blessing, even though in essence it looks like a curse in disguise. 
The Rasha, on the other hand, looks at the blessing and the curse as the same thing. When he sees the blessing, it's never enough for him. As the Gemara in Masechet Sukkah says, you give a person 100, he wants 200. You give him 200, he wants 400. Not a single person in the world ever died with even half of what he wanted. Half of what he wanted. He always wants more. So even the blessing is not enough for him. Ah, yeah, it's a nice house. It's just, ah, Hashem could have done better. He gave this guy $10 million house. Why? Why can't he give me $10 million? Why only nine? Why only one? Never happy what he has. It doesn't matter that it's more than what he used to have. It doesn't make a difference. He doesn't decipher. No, no, no. Hashem can do it. As if like Hashem works for him. Hashem can do it. Why? It's, it's, people always want to blame Hashem for their problems. Meaning, they don't do something good. And they say, no, no, but Hashem can do anything though, right? It has nothing to do with Hashem. It has to do with your tshuva. Someone once said, he's like, yeah, listen, uh, I think that uh, I should get this. There's a lot of unrealistic things that he wanted. I said, you know, it's a little bit unrealistic what you're asking for. Not that, Shalom, we don't believe in miracles and things of that nature, but you're not supposed to depend on them. Like, for example, if you don't have a job right now, and you're going to tell me that in six months you can have a $40 million house, I'm going to say that you probably have to go to Abarbanet. It's a mental hospital in, some, in, in Israel. There's something wrong with you. It's an unrealistic thing to... If you, if you believe it's possible, anyway, it's 50-50. You know, anything is 50-50. And for all the mathematicians, I didn't do the math on this. I'm just telling yes or no. Meaning that it's a... Anything is possible, but we don't think like that. That's not a logical way to think and look at things in life. Meaning, it's just not likely. It's not probable. You don't have a job now. You have five bucks to your name. To have a $40 million house in six months from now, I mean, you're, it's more like wishful thinking. And you're really preparing yourself for failure. It's not a healthy way to think. So a lot of times people say, yeah, yeah, but Hashem can do it. It has nothing to do with Hashem. Of course Hashem can do it. It has nothing to do with His ability. So what are you going to say? That if he didn't do it, that's because he can't do it? That's kfirah. One Christian guy calls himself Messianic Jew. He sends me some information about his idolatry. I'm very, uh, I'm very um, proud to say that, Baruch Hashem, and every single time somebody sends me this stuff, I always tell him, stop being an idol worshiper. And usually I follow up with some shiur. Now I have my own shiur about the idolatry of Christianity or anyone that believes in the New Testament. Regardless of whether you call yourself a Messianic Jew or a Jew or a, a Christian or a Catholic, anyone that believes in the New Testament is worshipping an idol. It's 100% idolatry. There's no two ways about it. But if you tell this to a Christian or a Messianic Jew or anyone that believes in that stupid book, first of all, you should know they never read the book. Why? Because anyone with common sense that actually read the whole book from beginning to end knows that it's fake. Two, people that believe in that book are not looking for the truth. They look for excuses to justify their sins. But what's the most common way that's now become popular? By calling themselves Jews, Messianic Jews. So the guy sends me the information and I told him, uh, if you really want to know about this idolatry, of yours, and you want to see why it's idolatry, watch this year, and I can send you more if you'd like. He's like, yeah, but I heard from such and such that uh, it's uh, all these nonsense things that he said. And I said, listen, 
if you believe in the New Testament, you cannot call yourself a Jew. You are an idol worshiper. And he says, yeah, but for Hashem, anything is possible. That was his response. That's what he says. Hashem, anything is possible. That I could believe in the New Testament and still be a Jew. And still be a, a tzaddik. Still go to Gan Eden. What does it have to do with Hashem? You're worshipping an idol. Why are you blaming Hashem for your idolatry? It's the stupidest thing in the world, but people do this all the time. I don't understand. Doesn't anybody think anymore? What is like the mouse stopped running? He's on vacation? So that's why we have Parashat Shavua. It's the simplest way to get to the truth. Hashem says, look, it's a package deal. The tzaddik looks at the blessing and the curse as both good. Why is it good? Because it's both coming from the source. The rasha makes excuses. He says, when it's good, I did it. When it's bad, Hashem did it. Therefore, I'm not going to pray to Him. Yeah, that's why I'm not religious. Why? Because Hashem gives me problems. That's what people say. I'm not religious because Hashem gives me problems. So this is another thing that you can take home for this week's Parashat Shavua. Now, as we continue, we see this Mishnah... It's going to help us to get to the source, to the reason. Why? Why do people stay stupid? Bimit. We have to find out the reason why people elect to be stupid. I mean spiritually stupid. Not always stupid in general, but spiritually stupid. They're behind. Why? Why do people stay that way? This Mishnah answers the question. az panim uboshet banim. לגן עדן, יהי רצון מלפניך אדוני אלוהינו ואלוהי אבותינו שיבנה בית המקדש במהרה בימינו ותן חלקנו בתורתך. He used to say, who is he? As we remember from the previous Mishnayot, anytime it continues with a he, then that means it's the previous Tana that we had before, which is Yehuda ben Tema. So we're in Mishnah 524. It says, he used to say, the brazen, meaning the arrogant, go to Gehenom. But the shamefaced people that are humble go to Gan Eden. Pretty simple. May be your will, Hashem our God and the God of our forefathers, that the holy temple be rebuilt speedily in our days and grant us our share in your Torah. It's a very peculiar Mishnah that Yehuda ben Tema tells us Certain things that are, in essence, seem, seem like they're contradicting what he said in the previous Mishnah. He says, Az panim Someone that's arrogant, someone that's a brazen face goes to Gainum. But in the previous Mishnah, if you remember, he says, in order to serve your Father in heaven, to carry out the will of your Father in heaven, the first thing he said, be azkanamel, be bold, be brazen, like a leopard. So wait a minute. So way over here, I'm bold, I'm brazen, I'm arrogant, I'm everything for like a leopard to go serve Hashem, and here you tell me I'm going to gain home. So I'm going to serve Hashem and go to gain home anyway. What kind of deal is this? You dub into mine. I need somebody, I need a different rabbi. So here's the explanation. First and foremost, Yehuda ben Tema is putting his own teachings to the test and explaining being a medayik, 
being precise with certain things. As we learned in the previous Mishnayot, Chachamim, tizahu bidivrechem. Chachamim, be careful with your words. We already learned this from Antigonosh Isocho. Antigonosh Isocho said, you serve the master as if there's no reward. Meaning, serve him because you're supposed to serve him. Serve him because that's your job in the world. That's why he came to the world. A couple of his, uh, of his Talmidim misunderstood it. They didn't ask the teacher the question. They just assumed, oh, that's what he said? Okay, so that must mean there's no Ganeidim. That must mean we're just supposed to enjoy this world. They went off the derech. They started reform and conservative. Sadducees and Batracees. Their teacher was able to revive the dead. But they felt maybe he's too busy to answer a simple question. What do you mean? What do you mean? But they started big sects. They started big, uh, big parts of big heresy. Why? They didn't ask any questions. Because they really weren't looking for the truth. They were looking for excuses to go off the derech anyway. Sometimes someone's looking for the emet of the Torah. And sometimes a person is looking to be naval b'rshut the Torah. The Ramban says sometimes somebody looks for the Torah, the emet, the truth, whatever it is, whatever the price is. But sometimes somebody is looking to be a despicable person in the name of the Torah. Why? It's a name on Allah that's vague or no one understands or can be easily misunderstood as the reason why he's not religious. The reason why he doesn't want to go to the Knesset anymore. The reason why this, the reason why that, the reason why he's a heretic. There's plenty of those people today. And it's not the first time, it's always... So, Yehuda ben Tema is being a medayek b'milim. He's being very precise with, his, with what he's saying. He says, yes, I said you have to be bold like a leopard in order to serve Hashem. But the same talking I'm talking about, there's also a different type of bold. There's a bold that goes to Gehenom. So boldness in general is a negative trait. To be bold, to be overly confident, i.e. arrogant, is a negative trait. Its basis is a negative trait. And the reason why is because this prevents a person from accepting rebuke, from accepting constructive criticism. The Meili says a person that has, that's an arrogant person, that's a azpanim, he has a tough time accepting anybody's criticism, which makes him impossible to influence with datoa. Now the problem here, the problem here, is that Yudab and Timah says that if he stays this way, there's only one place for him, Genom. That's it. Why? Because he is not going to accept that he's wrong. He has an opinion. He learned the Gemara. He learned, I'm not talking about somebody who doesn't know anything. Talk about somebody who knows. He learned the Gemara. He learned the Mishnah. He learned the Shulchan Aruch. He learned all these different things. And he arrived at a certain
stern conclusion. Now someone that's a bigger Talmud Chacham said, hey, I'm sorry, your conclusion is wrong. Thank you for your conclusion. Chazak you still get schar for limud, you still get the merits in Shemayim for learning, but your conclusion is wrong. You said it's mutar, but in really it's asu. You said it's allowed, it's really not allowed. Not allowed. You're wrong. Uh, I don't agree with you, Kodarav. I don't agree with you, Kodarav, I don't agree. Oh, okay, that's a problem. Why? Because if you say I don't agree with you, Kodarav, that means I'm not Kodarav. Because anyone that you call a Kvod Arav, that means you have to accept him as a Rav. And if you go against the Rav, you're going against the Shem. When a person acquires themselves a Rabbi, that means they're acquiring their Da Torah. Now, of course, if you have a reason to disagree and you provide sources, you go back and forth, of course, that's Limud. That's Limud. Rabbi says this, you say that, and you go back and forth, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, Rabbi says, Rabbi goes. This is probably one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult step for most people today, especially in the religious Obal Tshuva world. It's, it's, it's almost impossible for people to accept the opinion of another person. Even if the other person is a rabbi, Talmit Chacham, knows what he's doing, or has the backing of Talmidei Chachamim, meaning he's not just, you know, just throwing something in the air just to see what happens. People have a hard time accepting. Why? It's not my opinion. I didn't come up with the idea. So what a lot of people do is they pick rabbis like they buy groceries. For the cereal, they go to aisle three. For the cookies, it's aisle four. For the macaroni, it's aisle 17. For the wigs, it's uh, aisle 19. For the, uh, the, you know, and they, they buy everything. This rabbi here, this rabbi there, kashrut, okay, I'm going to go with kashrut of uh, Avadia. You know, the modesty, I'm going to go with Lubavitcher. Uh, I'm going to do the, uh, this. Everybody, they pick and choose. They pick and choose with Alachot. And the Gemara says in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, I believe, page 14, says a person that says that he's going to keep, he's going to maintain the halachot, the stringencies of Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel, which are known to have opposites in many cases, over 300 machlokets between the two of them, documented. And it says, if someone says, you know what, every time that uh, Bet Shammai has a stringency, I'm going to go with that. Because usually he's known to be lenient. And every time that Bet, uh, Bet Hillel, Bet, I'm sorry, Bet Hillel goes with a stringency, I'm going to go with the stringency of Bet Hillel. Anytime that Bet Shammai has a, the stringency, I'm going to go with it. Meaning I'm going to go with always a stringent opinion. I want to be machmir on everything. Moa says, this is a fool that's blind. It's walking blind in the dark. Who told you to go with stringencies? Oh, Vadi Allah Shalom used to say people are just looking for stringencies, looking for chumrah. Chumrah this, chumrah this, chumrah this, eventually become chamorim. They want to be stringent, stringent, stringent on everything, and eventually become donkeys. Eventually they don't know anything. Why? You're not supposed every 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 imbecile can tell you to not do everything, but that's not what the Torah is for. The Torah is to explain to you how to live life. Sometimes it's allowed, sometimes it's not allowed. To say everything is not allowed, bury yourself in a cave, why did you come to the world? 
There's things that are kosher. There's things that are not kosher. There are things that are allowed. Things that are not allowed. There's no chokhmah in just saying everything is not allowed. You make pretend nazir. And eventually a person breaks that way. Becomes a chamol. Becomes a donkey. No, I used to be religious. Oh, so what happened? Now the stringencies. Who told you to do the stringencies? Yeah, you know, I have to do it. Who who told you? Who told you to do these stringencies? Who told you to uh, not drink anymore? Who told you uh, to uh, not eat anymore? Who told you not to uh, open your eyes anymore? Who? Who told you these things? No, nah, you know, I read it in the books and this. Yeah. Did they say, did, did the book tell you to do it? Did you, did you ask permission from your rabbi? Rabbi, can I do this humrah that this rabbi is talking about? Can I do it? No, I didn't. Why would I ask my rabbi? Oh, why would you ask your rabbi? If it's possible, you should ask your rabbi if you should go to the bathroom. But people don't know today. People don't know how important it is to have a rabbi. I heard Rabbi uh, Ben Porat once say in the shiur, he says, if you notice, mostly, according to him, I don't disagree, I'm not even in a place to disagree, but he says, according to him, he's been doing Kiru for, before I was even born, he says, most people that are doing tshuva today are Sephardic, in Israel at least. Most people that are doing tshuva today are Sephardi. He says, there's a lot bigger problem to get the Ashkenazi to do tshuva. He's Ashkenazi himself, I believe. I believe, I'm not sure. And, uh, he says, you, you wonder why? Why, why is it? He says, because the Sephardim, for whatever reason or another, they were taught, even though they weren't religious, and they had a lot of Masoret, they had a lot of, they still stayed somewhat in at the Kiddush, even though they were driving on Shabbat and Yom Kippur and eating Taref and everything, they'll still do the Kiddush, they'll still eat Matzah and so on. But mo- every every one of them always knew Rabbi is Kvod Arav. Everyone knew, even though they don't keep nothing, Rabbi comes, you kiss his hand. Rabbi comes, Kavod Lachachamim. Every, Mamash, it's very rare to see a Sephardi, to see a Sephardic Jew disrespect rabbis. Very rare. A lot of respect they give them. He says, with the Ashkenazi world, he says... He doesn't like his opinion. Ah, tipes tembel. Ah, a on his opinion. He's, uh, he's like me. they go at it. Why? For some reason or another, that same teaching for the Chachamim wasn't taught in the last generation. Not in the past. In the past, of course, the big tzaddikim kedushim came from the Ashkenazi world. You know, some many of the names that we mentioned here from Ashkenazi world. I'm talking specifically this generation right now. We have a generation that does not respect Chachamim. Does not respect. Oh, where'd you get your smicha? Where'd you get your smicha? I got it in Publix. I got it in Publix, right next to the pillows. Smicha also means uh, cover, blanket. What difference is it? I got it from this rabbi, it's not going to be good enough. I got it from that rabbi, it's not going to be good enough. I got this smicha, oh, you're just a butcher. Why are you giving lectures? And it's never going to be good enough. It's, people don't even know what it means to have a smicha bichlal. I always thought about this. And somebody, some asked the question. He's telling him, listen, where did you get your smicha? Oh, I got it there. Okay, Baruch Hashem. So you got the smicha. Good. Are you doing anything with the smicha? Or are you just covering yourself like a blanket? Oh, no, I'm thinking what my choices are, this and that. Oh, okay. So no, because people always complain about things. I said, oh, because, ha. So you have the smicha already for five years. 
You have the smicha for 10 years. You have the smicha for a year. How many hours of teaching Torah do you have? To the Zakot Rabin? How much? 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. How much? Oh, an hour between you and yourself? What are you doing with the smicha? It's Baltashchit. You wasted your parents' money with this getting the smicha. If you're not going to teach Torah, what, do you, what good is it, this smicha of yours? What are you going to do with it? Just tell people you're a rabbi? So you get more kavod? Az panim l'geinum. Az panim l'geinum. You're trying to be what? What are you trying to be? What? People are going to call you kavod arav? Today, it's almost a derogatory world in some communities. You're a rabbi? You have a real job? So, Rabotai, today we have a serious problem because people don't want to accept the opinion of the Chachamim which is making life very difficult. Because even if you have somebody that you want to tell them what to do, who, what, when, and how, you naturally take it into account that this person, now you're going to tell them, listen, you did this ABC wrong. Not only is he not going to listen to you, now he can't just not listen to you. Now he has to turn you into an enemy. Because it cannot be that... You have a different opinion than me. So you must be Korach. You must be Haman. You must be Amalek. I, I have to ask my other rabbi if I'm allowed to kill you. Because it says you have to kill Amalek. Why? You have a different opinion. People have a very, very hard time accepting an opinion that's not theirs. And the reason why is because they are arrogant. Azpanim. It makes it very difficult for people to accept constructive criticism. But this is all of us. All of us have this problem. As soon as someone tells you, yeah, by the way, you're wrong on this, immediately you don't even care what they're saying. Immediately one of the ears stopped working. Someone said, yeah, by the way, I think you're wrong about that. Immediately one of the ears stopped working. The other one's like 50-50. It's like on a dying battery. It's like, eh. What are you saying again? Why? No one likes to hear you're wrong. You're wrong. There's a mistake in what you did. Immediately. Immediately our natural inclination is we have to become defensive. You tell me I'm wrong. You know who I am. You know what I did. You know all the things. All the things. You start telling, okay, but you, you admit that you're wrong. Yeah, but you know what I did. You know how much I gave. You know what I did. Do I have to say? Do I have to say what I have to do? And that's the thing, Abutai. It's, it's a disaster. It's a spiritual disaster that's infested all of us. All of our households, all of our lives, all of our schools, all of our jobs, all of our business, everything. It's the root of all failure. And believe it or not, it's the root of atheism. In our current generation, it's not even a debatable fact that we have the most amount of atheists in the history of mankind. People simply choose to not believe in Hashem. And instead, they say that everything came from nothing, Hashem Yerachem. Now anyone that actually takes a minute to think about all the stupid things that the argument of atheism actually has realizes that it doesn't make any sense. But aside from that, it actually requires more faith. More faith to, to be an atheist and believe that everything came from nothing than to believe in Hashem starting everything. And that's why atheism is indeed a religion of its own. And they believe in themselves. Each person believes in themselves. In the 
parable that the Rabbanit wrote in the Alona Kodesh, she wrote a wonderful story that really puts this into perspective. It says there was once a king that all of the people loved and he showered them with gifts. He gave them all the good that they could possibly imagine. And all of the people celebrated his name and the kids learned about his glory and his teachings and his kinghood. And everyone was happy. But one day, a rasha came into town and was jealous of the king's glory and how much people loved him and was bitter at the fact that everyone was happy serving him. So he decided to go say Lashon about him. He decided to go say, listen, I think the king is just brainwashing you. Who does he think he is? Why, why, why do you have to listen to him? Why don't you be your own king? This is what the Nachash did. This is what the serpent did. In Sefer Bereshit. He told, oh, Hashem told you not to eat from the, from, from the trees? Ah, it's because he's scared of you. He's scared you're going to be like him. So the bitter man said, oh, what do you need this king for? Be your own boss. Start your own business. Why do you need to work for this guy for? Everybody wants to be the boss until the bills come. You see this also sometimes in people that want to do mitzvot. The Satan fools them. They tell them, listen, we have a Kiruv organization. We have a synagogue. We have a this. We have a that. We have all these different things. Like, wow, this is really good. I'm going to start my own thing. Why? Why are you going to start another synagogue? You already have 15 on the same block. Why do you have to start another synagogue? No, I want my own synagogue. For what? Why don't you just take all that money, put it in the existing synagogue, get more people to come, not just another building. We have more synagogues than we have Jews. You have 18 synagogues in certain streets in, uh, in, in the world, but you barely have one minyan in any one of them. If we actually spent the same money, the same resources, to actually get people to attend the synagogue, to do tshuva, we'd actually have Am Yisrael Chai. But no, no, I want to start my own synagogue. Or he tells somebody, oh yeah, yeah, I like what you're doing. I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to start my own Kirub organization. Why? Why? Why are you going to start your own Kirub? For what? What are you going to do? If you're going to speak, speak. Fine. No, I'm just going to do videos. I'm going to do events. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take a little bit of here, a little bit of there. I'm going to spend all the... Re- For what? There's already existing ones that are good. And I remember there was one time a guy that lived close to us, the previous house, and uh, he saw what we were doing, and he liked what we were doing, Kiruv, and so on and so forth. He's like, wow, it's really amazing how people are doing tshuva and this and that. I said, yeah, listen, you could do it too. He's like, yeah, but I don't know how. I said, all you got to do is share the videos. You see videos you like, share with people. He goes, yeah, but what are people going to share? Are they going to see five people going to see my video? I said, no. So I started teaching them how to do it. I said, listen, I could help get you to join our uh, team and those, you know, they'll teach you how to do it. You join these groups and you start this and you do this and all you really got to do is just be on top of it, be on, you know, share things constantly, get quality information. That's it, you're fine. Become part of the team. Do Kira with us. Oh, wow, this is great. So we started helping him little by little. I start seeing he's doing it more and more but he's not doing what, you know, he's not sharing our stuff. He's sharing everybody else's stuff except ours. Everybody else, every rabbi, the ones that speak, don't speak, the mind, the, 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 what does it make a difference? Everyone except us. 
Why? It's not my thing. I'm going to start my own thing. Everybody wants their own thing. It's a problem. We have a lot of organizations that don't have funding simply because everybody wants to start their own thing. Because we're all too arrogant to support somebody else's thing. Even though it's the right thing to do. So, this arrogance is not just something that's affecting our jobs, it's not just something that's affecting the Kiruv world, it's affecting our marriages, it's affecting our tshuva, it's affecting our children, it's affecting everything. But at the same token, the same Tanakadosh Yehuda ben Tema says in the previous Mishnah that you're supposed to be az, you're supposed to be bold, you're supposed to be brazen. How? How could it be? So the Rambam writes that boldness is legitimate when one is using it specifically to rebuke people that go against the Torah. This is a midah, that's a very important midah. To be bold is a legitimate thing that you need to have. To be az kanamea, to be bold like a uh, like a leopard, is important. Why? Because that's the only way you can actually rebuke your brother. That's the only way you're going to rebuke your sister. That's the only way you're going to sometimes go and say, Kvodarab, I think you made a mistake on that page. It's not that one, it's this one. You're not trying to go against the chas You're just trying to make sure that certain things are where they are. Nobody makes a mistake. Sometimes you have to be bold to do it. And the Rambam teaches us that a person has to use all of his terrible midot to honor Hashem. Now this answers a lot of questions. Because immediately anyone that delves into this issue will see, wait a minute, if I was born angry, if I was born arrogant, if I was born stingy, if I was born this way and if I was born that, is it really my fault that I'm arrogant? I'm going to go to Gainum because I'm arrogant. Is it really my fault that I'm stingy? I'm not going to have the mitzvah of staka and go to Gainum because I don't give staka. Is it really my fault that I'm this? Is it really my fault that I'm that? Yes, it is your fault. It's not your fault that you are born with that midah, but it's your fault that you did not use it to serve Hashem. The Rambam is not telling you that you could literally just eliminate. One day you wake up in the morning, okay, I'm not arrogant anymore. It's not going to happen. One day you wake up in the morning, all of a sudden you become, uh, instead of Uncle Scrooge, the cheapest person on earth, you're a, uh, the most generous. It's not going to happen. It takes time to work on your midot. What does it mean to work on your midot? They still, they're still there. Now you've learned how to use them for good. Another issue... The Rambam explains is also, even when you are using it for good, you have to be careful that you really have, are using it for good and it just doesn't, it doesn't just look good. Sometimes things, just like we had like happiness, things look like they're good, but they're like good, but they're not really good. He says, sometimes a person wants to rebuke. He says, ah, oh, you're Mechalet Shabbat, oh, you're all the things. There's a mitzvah in the book of Leviticus, Chapter 19, verse 17. It says, 
you must rebuke your brother. And this is a responsibility for every Ben or Bat Israel. But the Rambam says that if you don't do it right, then you're going against that mitzvah. Why? Because the mitzvah, the pasuk continues, Veloti You must rebuke your brother, but don't come to the way of sin. What does it mean? What does one thing have to do with the other? He says, you rebuke your brother, but make sure you don't become a sinner because of it. Don't rebuke him out of your arrogance just because you want to tell him what to do. Don't tell her, hey, you're really, really not modest just because you want to offend her because you don't like that she's skinnier than you or she's lighter than you or she's darker than you or she's fatter than you or she's this than you. You're jealous of her. Tachlis, bottom line, you're jealous of her and you really just want to offend her because her existence bothers you. So you found one banana peel she slipped on in 1937 and you're going to remind her of it. Rambam says, oh, you want to rebuke? Good, you'll go to Genom. Good, good. Chazakur Baruch for that, for that rebuke. You go to Genom for that rebuke. Why? It's not a real rebuke. You didn't rebuke her because you love her and you're trying to save her life. You didn't rebuke her because you love her and you're trying to help her get out of danger. You rebuked her because you're arrogant. You rebuked her because you want to tell her what to do. You rebuked her you criticized her because you want to shame her. You want to embarrass her. You want her to feel bad about herself so she can stays in the house and never leaves. So you could be the best looking girl. So you could be the smartest. So you could be the center of attention. Because every time she comes, everyone listens to her. So you don't like it. So you're going to insult her and say, you know what? I think you talk a lot of Lashonara. You get it, you start telling all the things that the Chafetz Chaim said about Lashonara. She gets so scared she doesn't want to leave the house ever again. You didn't rebuke her because you cared about Lashonara. Why? Because as soon as she left, you said more Lashonara than her. But she took away your, she took away your spotlight. Rambam says, Chazaku for the rebuke, you're going to gain them anyway though. Your boldness wasn't a good one. You used the boldness in a bad way, but it looked like a mitzvah. It looked like a mitzvah. It looked, it was like it. That's how the Satan fools us. That's how the Satan fools us. It looks like it's something that's allowed. There's a lot of things that look like they're allowed. And the Satan fools us every single day with it. I know that in the Jewish world, the Satan has fooled everyone to such an extent that they literally, most people don't believe he exists. You tell people that they have to be modest, you tell people they have to keep Shabbat. You tell people this is what Hashem says. So yeah, but then there's, there's, a, there's 70 faces to the Torah. Everyone knows there's 70 faces to the Torah. No one actually knows what it means, 70 faces to the Torah. It's just a figure of speech showing a, a significant number. But in essence, they've translated it in such a way. Like, yeah, you were saying that you're supposed to wear a skirt such and such length. But I'm sure there's some other rabbi that agrees with many skirts too. As long as you wear a skirt. You see a Bat Yisrael come out of shul or go into shul with a skirt that doesn't even cover her knees. But she is convinced that she's the most modest woman in the entire minyan. They should do a blessing, Birkat Kohanim and Birkat for her. Why? Look how modest I am with my tight shirt and a skirt that barely covers a half a knee. She's convinced she's modest. 
Sometimes she even has a mitpachat on her rosh. She has a mitpachat. But she also has eight pounds of makeup on. That's a second or third or fourth layer of skin. She makes sure that's nice, bright and shiny red like the stop sign. So everyone knows, oh, this is the tzaddikit from down the street. You see, yeah, yeah, the one with the red lipstick, just like the one from the movies. Yeah, like that one. She's convinced she's doing a mitzvah with the mini skirt, the tight this, the tight that, and the makeup like she just came out of some uh, Hollywood movie, Barminan. But she's convinced, I'm, t- I'm the most tzaddikit here, I'm the, the most righteous here, what are you talking You people should do tshuva. As the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, En adam be'atzmo. A person does not see the obligation in himself. How many times did you guys see it? When I say it in a lecture, Baruch Hashem, today we don't have that problem. But how many times did you guys see it, hear it, and see it with your own eyes? Where I say in the middle of the lecture, I say people play with their phone in the middle of the lecture. I'm looking at the person playing with the phone the whole time. I'm looking at them playing with the phone. I said, people should stop playing with the lecture. Why are you coming to the lecture? And the guy is right in front of me, but he, he's looking around. He's like, yeah, people should really do chuba here. Yeah. He's look. everyone else he's looking at. How many times did it happen? A hundred times already? I think this is the first lecture, but oh, Hashem, it hasn't happened. I'm telling people, you know, don't play with the phone in the lecture. Don't read a book. Yesterday, had one hero read a book in front of me. Why did you come to the lecture if you're going to read a book in front of me? First of all, it's bizayon la Torah. It's disrespect to the Torah. Second of all, if you're interested in the book, go read the book. I'm not saying the book's not good. Go read the book. It doesn't make any sense. People, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any... People don't think. People don't think at all. Or sometimes you have people come to the lecture because they want to speak, even though they're not the speaker. Every two seconds they have something to say. Okay, you want to say something? Well, we'll learn Chavuta one day, maybe in 30 years from now when I have nothing to do. But for now, if I'm here to speak, I'll speak. When you speak, maybe I'll come to your speech. Why, Rabotai? Why? All of this, all of these things that I'm mentioning to you, it's all arrogance. Every single one of them. When a person goes and he wants to speak, that's because he wants to be the center of attention. When a person plays with the phone and he cares less about what anybody else thinks, that's because he thinks he's the center of the universe. All of the worst things of mankind stem from arrogance. The atheist believes in a God called him, himself. Why? What does the atheist believe? He believes he doesn't want to believe in whatever you say. That's what he believes. He believes that he'll make his own rules. Live and let live is the belief. Let me live, you live, you do your thing. But that's not true. Why? Because the atheist is bothered by the believer. And that's why if you ever go on my YouTube pages, there's always one or two atheists there, one or two uh, Catholic Christians and missionaries, I always have to delete them constantly, or somebody else delete them, that are making sure the world knows their opinion. Whether it's J.C. Penny or it's a Muhammad, or it's the atheist saying that we all came from an egg or something, you know, some uh, there was a shakshuka somebody made and a little bit came out and that became human being. I don't know what they think, these people. It's all shtuyot. But the reality is, there's always one of them. Why? If if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, why are you watching my videos? If you believe in Yoshke, you believe in J.C. Penny, why are you watching me? I'm the, I'm the most aggressive person on earth against Christianity. Why would you listen to me? I abused the, the guy's a moron. He died 2,000 years ago. Why are you guys, why do you people still believe in him? 
He was a mamzer. That means that his mom cheated on the husband. He came from Tsoa and he went to Tsoa. He came from Tsoa and he went to Tsoa. He's the worst person on earth, this JCPenney. Worst person on earth. They call him Yeshu because it's an acronym for Yimach Shimo Vezichro. May his name be blotted out. That's how bad of a person he is in the eyes of Hashem. And you're going to listen to my lectures? For what? I'm the one insulting him. What are you going to get out of it? But they do it. Why? Because the atheist and the Christian and all of these people, deep down inside, they're bothered. They're bothered because they know they're wrong. And you remind them that they're wrong. Your existence reminds them that they're wrong. A person that's confident in their beliefs doesn't need to prove anything. Doesn't need to prove anything. Somebody says, uh, debate me. Why? What am I going to get out of it? No, debate me. Prove that Judaism is right. I know it's right. I don't need to prove to you anything. You want to prove it? I give you some books. I give you some movies. I give you some lectures. You go do your homework. What do you for my life? No, but you have to defend it. I don't have to defend anything. I have to teach people Torah. You want to learn? Come learn. I'm not on the defensive. You are. You believe in nothing. You believe you came from an egg. You believe you came from a mosquito or something. Your grandfather is an, is an amoeba. Oh, Hashem, my grandfather is, the, is David Amelech. It's, a, uh, it's Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't come from an amoeba. You have a problem. All your amoebas look the same. You have to go to the zoo to visit your grandfather, the monkey. Me, I can just look open at Tanakh. I don't have a problem. I don't have to prove anything. A person that believes doesn't have to prove anything. So all of the so-called non-believers, they have to constantly prove their case. They have to constantly prove, no, 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 but prove that there's a God. Prove this, prove that, prove it. No, no, I don't have to prove anything. I know it's true. Open your eyes, you see it's true. But that's the thing. It bothers them. Why? Because it's arrogance. It comes from arrogance. Because they can't fathom the fact that someone would disagree with them. They can't fathom the fact that someone would disagree with them to such an extent that they're literally calling their false god stupidity. They're calling them stupid. Like it's not, you know what, I believe it's uh, that uh, this type of music is good, you believe a different type of music is good. That means it's a difference of opinion. One guy may like hip-hop, the other guy may like, uh, I don't know, uh, rock and roll or something. One guy may like uh, black, one guy may like uh, blue. One guy may like this, it's it's an opinion. On um, taste or smell, there's nothing to argue. There's a saying, there's a saying, in uh, in Hebrew, that on taste and smell, there's nothing to argue. Why? Because it's sim- it's your taste. You can't tell somebody why you don't like steak. What are you crazy? What do you mean? He just doesn't like steak. It's not his flavor. He doesn't like it. Doesn't like it. Why? You don't like this song? You don't know what you're talking about. No, I do. I just don't like this song. That's it. Nothing wrong with me because I don't like the song. It's my my taste is I don't like the song. I don't like this food and so on and so forth. You may like it. You may not like it. Some people get offended. They invite you know people to their house and they don't like their food because they came from a certain custom and uh, you came from a different custom. So I know, for example, if you invite me to your house, don't don't offer gefilte fish to me. It's not for me. First of all, I don't like fish anyway. 
even if it's uh, if, even if it's, it's fish from Spain. That make a difference to me. I don't like fish. Rarely do I eat it, and it's only because it doesn't taste like fish. I like fish when it doesn't taste like fish. When it tastes like nothing, that's when I like it. That way, it just goes down. And I don't feel it. it. Just shows you how much I like fish. But don't get offended that I'm not going to eat you get filter fish. It has nothing to do with you. It's not my taste. It's not my taste. My parents, on the other hand, even though we're Sephardic, they love to filter fish. Meaning, it has nothing to do with Sephardic Ashkenazi. It's just a taste, a person's taste. Don't get offended when someone doesn't have your same taste. Be normal. Normal in a sense of meaning, have a brain. Have, use common sense. Don't be arrogant. Don't be so arrogant to the point where if someone disagrees with your taste, ah, they're an enemy. They're, they're Amalek. Now the problem with, going back to the original issue, is the problem with the atheist is that it's not an opinion. It's not an opinion. You believe in Yoshke, you believe in New Testament, and we believe in the Old Testament. No, no, no. It's not. Anyone that's a kosher Jew not only believes in a Torah. It's not only that. It doesn't end there. Anyone that's a kosher Jew believes that the New Testament is 100% idolatry. Anyone that believes in, 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 that's a Jew believes that anything associated with Christianity is 100% not kosher. They may be decent people, they may be generous, they may be funny, they may be whatever you want to say about them. I know some of them are wonderful people, but their belief is complete falsehood. Now, if you're trying to be friends with non-Jews, there's not a problem with that as long as they're not trying to recruit you. But if you're befriending non-Jews to the extent where you like to prove right and prove wrong, you're playing with fire. Why? Because that debating instinct that you have, that inclination you have is a mitzvah from a satan. Because if you really believed in Hashem, you wouldn't feel the need to debate it constantly. If you really didn't believe in them, in their stuff, they wouldn't want to debate you. Because they'd see you're a lost cause. <coughs> they can't convince you. It's not that you don't agree with their God. It's not that you don't agree with their book. You're calling it garbage. You're calling it sewer. That's what the New Testament is. It's sewer. So this is not a difference of opinion. This is, this is the opinion. So, Rabotai, this is also a form of azpanim. This is also a form of boldness, but it's a kosher boldness. You have to be bold after your beliefs in Hashem Barach. You can't be a fake Jew, you can't be a half a Jew, and you cannot be one of these uh, hidden Jews. Arav Hudna Shalom, in his earlier uh, part of his career, as Rosh Yeshiva of Chaim Berlin, he made a rule. Anyone that wants him to do chupah and kiddushin for them, he says that you have to agree to carry your talit and tefillin openly. Because back then people were so scared of being Jewish openly and exterior-wise that they would put that talit and tefillin in, uh, in uh, brown bags, like lunch bags. They were embarrassed of being Jews. They were scared of being Jews. So Rav Hutnel, which was fire, fire of heaven, he said, you want me to do chupan kiddushin? Fine. You have to, from now on, you have to 
Start carrying your talit and tefillin proudly. Be a proud Jew. Don't be a half a Jew. Don't wear a kippah only when no one's looking. Don't, don't hide your Judaism. Be proud. That's why we don't have much of that anymore. We don't have much of that. You go to the airport, how many times did I tell you guys, I go to the airport, all these trips, Hashem, you always see the Jew and the Muslim praying. The Muslim is praying in the middle, right in the middle of the aisle, the middle of everything, with his little flying carpet on the floor, he's bowing, he's laying down, he's eating his madbucha, he's doing everything five times a day in the middle of Broadway, in the middle of Wall Street, in the middle of anywhere, has no care in the world. The Jew is hiding in the corner. Why? Why are you hiding in the corner? Yeah, I understand certain people you want to focus, you want anything to go in a way, but it's not really the real reason. It's not the real reason. The real reason is because a lot of us are not exactly so proud to be who we are. I told somebody one time that it was a little bit embarrassed, like, yeah, but what if I pray? I pray at the airport and uh, you know, people see me, they'll ask me, you know, they look at me funny, what is it? I told them it's very simple. I tell them, oh, well, you're asking what this is? Okay, you ever heard about Mashiach? Yeah, okay, that's what he's going to look like. Tefillin, talit, praying, that's what Mashiach's going to look like. It's not going to look like your J.C. Penny with long hair like a rock star. It's not going to look like him. That's also a form of azpanim. You have a lot of bad midot. Each one of us have a lot of bad midot. The Rambam says you have to use them for good. If you were born with a midah being a liar, you have to be like Aaron. Aaron Cohen used this midah for the good. What did he do? He made peace with it. When he saw that Reuven and Shimon got into a fight, he comes to Shimon and says, you know, Reuven really feels bad. I just spoke to him. Terrible, terrible. Wow, he was crying. He said he can't believe himself how he yelled at you and then and this and that. Oh, wow. He said it? Yeah, yeah. No, he said it. He said it. Right away after he finishes, he goes to he goes to Rouven. Rouven, I just came back from Shimon. Shimon was almost crying. He was almost crying when he was thinking about you. What happened? He couldn't believe what happened and this and that. Meaning that none of this actually happened. But Aaron said it happened. Why? He says to sanctify Hashem's name, to bring the Geulah, to bring Mashiach, we have to have Ava. We have to have love of each other. We can't have love of each other if we hate each other. So we have to make peace. So if I have to use this midah of lying for good, I'll do it. I have to tell Shimon that Reuven is sorry. I have to tell uh, 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 Reuven that Shimon is sorry. Even though they're not sorry, they didn't tell me they're sorry, but I know they're sorry. Why? Because they're Jews. They have to be sorry. If they're not sorry, they're not Jews. This Farim HaKadoshim asks, why did Hashem... Create Adam by himself. Adam by himself. All of the other beings were created male and female. Lion and lioness. The cow and the bull. Male and female horse. All the other beings were created with the opposite. Male, female. But Adam, Adam. Until he took a piece of Adam and made the female from it. Made Chava. Why? Why didn't he just make Adam Chava? It 
if you notice, all of these animals, these are all the behemoth, these are all the animals, they don't have marriage. If the bull mates with the cow, he doesn't cuddle with her. He doesn't give a few jokes after. He doesn't uh, ask her how she's doing the next day. He doesn't pay child support. Five seconds later, he could go find a different cow. He doesn't call her my wife. But man, it doesn't even matter even if she divorced him. He still calls her my ex. My. Why? Because a Jew understands, a kosher human being understands that once you are with your wife, you're one. You're one and the same. It's not two different beings. It's the same. It's the same thing. Because if Hashem created man and woman at the same time, they simply would have acted just like the animals. They made with each other once and move on to something else. There would have never been a marriage there would have never been a relationship. There would never have been anything. Why? To here today, gone tomorrow. In essence, the point of the whole creation being the way it is, that Hashem masterfully and divinely created man in a certain way, that He understood that she actually came from Him. Not just spiritually, not just of joint bank accounts, not just we share a car once or twice a week. No! She actually came from His body. She came from his body. You're the same thing. And that's why the Rambam says that you have to love her as much as you love yourself and honor her even more than yourself. Unfortunately, today, there are more people acting like the behemoth than they are acting like Adam Rishon. We don't act appropriately to our wives, to our husbands. We feel like we can replace them. What's the big deal? That's why the divorce rate in the Western world is approaching 90-something percent. You're better off not getting married because you may get divorced the next day. It's just going to cost you $50,000 to do it. Why waste the money? So all of these things happen because people are too arrogant. They're too arrogant to hear each other out. They want to get a divorce because he doesn't agree with me. He doesn't uh, this, he doesn't that. One time a couple comes to Rav Nisimi again, Allah Shalom, and says, Kvodav, we need your help. He's like, what? It's like, my ex over here, my ex, she, uh, she doesn't want to listen to me. Why don't you want to listen to me? Because uh, his opinion stinks. Why his opinion stinks? What happened? Well, listen, we got a divorce. Oh, why'd you get a divorce? Oh, I got a divorce because uh, my daughter asked uh, the husband, can I go out Mutzay Shabbat? No, no, no. And the father said, no. No, you can't go out Mutzay Shabbat. It's not, one, uh, you're living in our house. It's not appropriate for a young woman to go out on Mutzay Shabbat to all these different places. No. So then she went to the wife, she went to the mom. Ima, can I go? She goes, yeah, go, enjoy yourself. So I said to her, no, 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 she's not going. 
She says, what? She's going. Who says she's going? I said she's going, she's going. Oh, you said she's going? Okay, tomorrow we're getting a divorce. And usually to get a get takes a while. The rabbis try to stall it, they try to fix it, they try to, it goes, goes through a while. There's also negotiations and so on. Satan made this get happen in like a week. Unbelievable. 25 year marriage, choban. Destroyed nothing. Now they're back. Now, now they're, they're confused. Why? Because one of the sons said, Abba Ima, by the way, if you, if you don't invite me to the wedding of Abba and Ima, I'm not inviting you to the wedding of me and my wife. So he's like, so what's happening now? He's like, yeah, well, now we have a problem because um, because uh, the kids, the kids are uh, don't like it. Oh, so you tried to protect the kids, but the kids are don't like what you actually did with the, with that protection. What does that have to do with? He didn't want to listen to me. I didn't want to listen to her, and so on. it's all arrogance. It's like, all right, so why don't you say I'm sorry? No, no, you should say I'm sorry first. Why? Why should? Because he started. Why did he start? He told the do- your daughter not to go out. Yeah, but he should have known. He should have asked me. Should have meaning, literally, you destroyed a house for twenty five years because things didn't work out your way. He disagreement. Uh, this uh, all the small, the stupidest things in the world are dest- amazing. It's amazing how arrogance destroys everything in its sight. Arrogance can cause a person to lose their olam to such an extent they can go to genom. Genom. It's not saying aspanim is a sinner, no good. No, it says genom rabotai. This is unlike what many people teach today. It actually says the word genom. That should be just the word itself should scare you. Is it aspanim? No good. We don't like him anymore. We're not going to invite him for 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 lelasedim. No, it says Genom Rabotai. It's scary. It's supposed, it's supposed to be scary. Yehuda ben Tamai is trying to scare the life out of you. It says, you're arrogant, you're going to Genom. Ooh, so relax, Yehuda. Hey, you don't even know me yet. He says, no, as Panim goes to Genom. Why? It's not just Genom in Olam Abba. It's Genom in this world. If you live as an arrogant person, you're going to suffer your whole life. If you're an arrogant person, that means you're always going to look for Kavod. And no one's ever going to give you the amount of kavod that you feel you deserve. No one's ever going to call you as many times as you think you should be called. No one's going to give you the amount of respect you think you deserve. No one's ever going to care for you as much as you think you should be cared for. And so on and so forth. No one's going to listen to you as much as you should be listened to according to you. No one's going to acknowledge you as much as you think you should be acknowledged. Meaning, you are living a life of genom here. Why? Because you have so much arrogance, you think so big and so highly of yourself, it'll never be enough. That even if people tell you, Chazaku Baruch, like, I don't know if he really meant it. I don't know if he said, he should say, Chazaku Baruch. Not like, Chazaku Baruch, like when he's like a half a, what's the matter with him? Say Chazak, give him a nice big hug. Like, what's the matter with you? Why don't you say Chazak? Hey, Chazak. It's Chalash maybe, not Chazak. Meaning even, you're even... Looking at the words people used and how they... Why? Because it's never enough. When you're arrogant, it's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough money. It's never enough kavod. It's never enough respect. It's never nothing. It's never enough. You're living genom here already. But this ultimately also causes a person to go to genom up there. And why? Because a person that has arrogance is never going to listen to Da Torah. He's going to make his own judgment. And his own judgment is going to destroy him. 
Rabbeinu Yonah gives a chidush of chidushim. Rabbeinu Yonah says over here that in this mitzvah you must rebuke your brother. It also tells us that each one of us has the responsibility for the sins of other people. We bear the sins of other people. Where if we refrain from rebuking them, Rabbi Yonah says it's like we sinned ourselves. Source we already know from is Masechet Shabbat, Masechet Abu Dazarah, several places in the Torah talks about it. But Rabbi Yonah continues and says, no, there's even a source in the Torah itself, aside from the Tana, from the uh, this uh, ones that we know, there's also another Chidush, another story that happened. It says, where well, even if a person sins, one person sins, the entire community actually may suffer if they were aware of his actions and didn't do anything. One guy drove on Shabbat. Everyone knows he's driving on Shabbat. Bar Minan, the whole community can go on fire because of it. Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah says this. He says, what's the source? What's the source? Book of Joshua. I brought a few guys. You can see it. This is Sharet Shuvah 372. In the book of Joshua, right in the beginning, chapter 7 of the book of Joshua, is a very scary Maaseh. Very scary Maaseh. Right before it, it talks about how the big, the strong Ami said that Hashem made miracles for them, split the ocean for them, split the river for them, went to Yericho, went to Jericho, and won a battle that they shouldn't have been able to win naturally. Naturally, they shouldn't have been able to win it. The enemy was stronger, bigger, and so on and so forth. Naturally, they shouldn't have been able to win it, but they saw Yad Hashem was here, they destroyed them. So at this point, Yeshua Benun understood that winning the battle has nothing to do with the weapons, has nothing to do with the Iron Dome, has nothing to do with the IDF, it has to do with Hashem. So he said, we have this another smaller, nothing little nation of Canaan over there. You don't even need to send many people. You don't need to send many people. Send a couple thousand. Two, three thousand it says. Send two, three thousand people. You don't need to send a lot of people. Why? Because in reality, we're just doing Ishtadlut. Hashem's winning the war. Hashem's winning the war. So go send a couple thousand people. No big deal. They sent a couple thousand Giborim. And this tiny little puny army that they should have demolished beats them. And 36 people die. Now unlike the Goim that kill themselves every day and every night and don't care about bodies being in the streets, Bar Minan, Am Yisrael, when 36 people died, it's a Choban. For us, you hear one, Bar Minan, one, one, one soldier, one IDF soldier was stabbed by, by one of these Arab terrorists. All of Am Yisrael, religious, non-religious, all of us mourn. The Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan says, if you don't mourn over a kosher person, you could lose a child. So now they saw 36 tzaddikim, kdoshim, that were also giborim, dying in a, in a battle against a bunch of losers? How could this be? So Yeshua Benu knew immediately something is wrong here. Yeshua Benu talks to Hashem. He says, Hashem, Hashem, What's happening here? How could it be? And chapter 7 starts the following. It says, 
את יהושע ואיש אמו בכל הארץ. וימעלו בני ישראל מעל בחרם ויקח אחן בן כרמי בן זבדי בן זרח למטה יהודה בן החרם ויחרף אדוני בבני ישראל. says in the children of, of, of Israel trespassed against the consecrated property. Achan, son of, of Karmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Yehuda, took of the consecrated property. And the wrath of Hashem flared against the children of Israel. So here we see that first it says that all of Am Yisrael sinned. And then it says that really it's Achan, a person by name of Achan from the tribe of Yehuda. He's the one that sinned. So which one is it? Is it everyone or is it Achan? So later on, if we fast forward a little bit, after Yeshua ben Nun comes to Hashem and says, what's, what's happening? Hashem says, yeah, you, you all sinned against me. Who, who, how, who, what, what do we do? He says, go use the Choshen. Use, I'm sorry, use the... Um, the... Uri uh, Umevetuim. Use them and do a lottery. Meaning, you have to, thank you, you have to identify the thief. Someone stole consecrated property. You have to identify him. So each person, he goes next to them, and the way the Urim and Tumim would work is that each one of the stones would shine or darken. So when a tribe of Yudah would pass by, anybody from the tribe of Yudah would pass by the Urim and Tumim, it was always the, that stone, was, everything was light except tribe of Yudah. Showing, oh, it's somebody from here. Now every single person in the tribe of Yudah passed the Urim and Tumim, everything is good, 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 good. Eventually gets to Achan. Gets to Achan, oh, ding, 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 thief, 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 mayday, 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 thief, kill him. Why? Now we've identified the thief. We've identified that it's not the entire tribe of Yudah. It's Achan. And Achan admits. Achan who actually says here, Achan made fun of the Urim and Tumim. Make fun of it. The Midrash Tanchuma says that uh, Achan actually made fun of the whole thing. Sings that... Uh, between you and uh, Eliezer and the Kohen Gadol, one of you is guilty probably. Meaning it's a joke. This is what you're going to find who's, who did it. You have millions of people here. You made fun of the whole thing. In the end it was him. Az panim la Arrogant goes to Geinum. He didn't realize it's going to work perfect because it's coming from Hashem. It's not just a bunch of stones. So now, it says that he admitted because he confessed his sin because he realized that he is found. He realized this is supernatural and they ended up stoning him to death now the question is why did it there's a few questions there's a sugya here why did the first verse say that the children of Israel went against Hashem why did 36 people die if Achan was the thief one person stole why did 36 people die? Why did Nachan die? So the Ralbag gives a very interesting response. He says that 
Many times we see things that we call punishment. Things that happen to people. We call it punishment. Somebody got a flat tire, somebody lost money, somebody got sick, somebody got this, somebody got that. But I mean, there's plenty of sicknesses in the world. So there's times we see certain things that happen, we call it punishment. Say, oh, kaparat avonot. I say this every two seconds. Every day, kaparat avonot. But reality, the Radbag says, this is Hashem's merciful way of turning people away from sinning towards doing tshuva. Meaning, He's giving you this problem because the road that you're heading is wrong. So He's trying to get your attention. Now since you're not Moshe Rabbeinu, since you're not Sarai Menu, since you're not a prophet or even the shoe of a prophet, He's not going to talk to you. He has to talk to you through things. You're going to get a flat tire, you lose a little money, your wife's going to yell at you, maybe even the curse at you out of, uh, out of uh, craziness once in a blue moon. Something Something's going to happen that it's out of the norm. Hashem's trying to get your attention. Don't say, no, no, it's punishment. No, no, it's not punishment. Hashem's trying to get your attention to do tshuva. Don't be one of these people that say, oh, no, stop playing with your phone. You look behind you. No, it's you. You have a phone in your hand, it's you. But the Rabbah continues and he says, the more ingrained sinful behavior is, the harder it is to dislodge people from it. People get accustomed to their sin. They get used to their sin. They get to a point where they start thinking that the sin is perfectly fine. It may even be a mitzvah. People think that wearing a short skirt is a mitzvah. I'm wearing a skirt. No one said wear a skirt. Say wear a long skirt. They said be modest. I'm wearing a wig. I'm covering my hair. No, it says cover your hair. It doesn't say Sarai who covered her hair with a wig. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that the parashat sota. It doesn't say she covered her hair. It doesn't say they take off her wig. It doesn't say that. You have to go and change. Don't change things too much. Now if you have da'at Torah, you have somebody to rely on, fine. You want to say that Rav Moshe Feinstein allowed wigs, no problem. You want to say the Lubavitcher Rebbe said allowed wigs, no problem. No, you said Rav uh, Belsky allowed wigs, no problem, fine. But did they allow Avodah Zarah? Did anybody allow Avodah Zarah? No. Nobody allowed Avodah Zarah. Now we know for sure that the vast majority of the wigs in the world come from one source called India. And in India, there are tens of millions of people that donate their hair for idolatry. Tens of millions of people. So this is the vast majority of the market. Meaning that you cannot rely on anyone. Doesn't matter what the sticker says, made in Europe, made in Brazil, made in things. Anything can say anything. The reality is real research that's been done by multiple institutions confirms the overwhelming majority of the wigs of the world come from idolatry. So even if you want to rely on one of these major gdolim, kdoshim, that said that wigs are allowed as long as they're modest, you still can't use them today. Why? Because you have a real hair wig or you have a fake wig and both of them contain avodazara hair. You want to take the risk? Enjoy. That's azpanim. That means that you're so arrogant, that's a form of azpanim. You're so arrogant, you're saying, no, no, there's no way that my wig maker Got me Avodah There's no way that I'm the one that's wearing Avodah. No way that I'm sinning. 
Everybody else is sinning. Everybody else is wearing Abu Dazara, not me. You're so sure that it's okay. And what about the next week that you have to buy a couple of years later because they go bad, like milk? What about that one? That's also kosher? Everybody's kosher except yours? Everybody else is not kosher except yours? That's az panim. Sometimes people get the sins so ingrained into themselves and their behavior that it's very difficult to stop them from it. The wigs thing is a disease. The modesty thing is a disease. The chilul shabbat is a disease. Atheism is a disease. All of these things are a disease, but it's very hard to remove people from the sin. Why? Because it has to, they have to be willing to change. If succeeding generations continue to sin, the Ralbag says, just as their forefathers, and even regard such behavior as proper and justified, meaning in the previous generation, they said, no, nah, it's not good, but it's okay, you can pass. The next generation says, it's good. You know, it's like somebody says, you know, it says uh, in the uh, Ten Commandments, Lot Tirzach, don't murder. So the guy says, no, I don't read it, Lot Tirzach. I said, Lo Tirzach. No, murder. Meaning instead of it says, don't murder, he's just like, no, murder. Why? It's the same words. One means don't murder, the other one sees, no, you should murder, dafka. No, tignov, steal. Same words. Dangerous. That's an aval of the Torah. Previous generation did one thing, the next generation automatically is lower, the Rabbag says. Even thinking that the behavior is proper and justified and takes it, at that point, Hashem is at a point where it actually takes him more misfortune, even sevenfold, to make them realize that they have gone wrong. Meaning that the punishment, now it's not a punishment, it wasn't a punishment in the past, it's not a punishment now, but in order to get the attention of some people, Hashem has to punish them even more, meaning He has to hit them harder. Why? Because in the previous generation, they knew it was not good. So as soon as He did something, He's like, ah, Hashem, chatanu, avinu, pashanu, I'm sorry. But now, it continued, the next generation says, I'm doing good. So Hashem punches them in the face, like, no, no, it's probably, it's probably your, your, on you. I'm probably doing tshuva for you. My suffering is for you. One guy got, uh, got a, had a problem in his life. Had a problem, serious problem, health issue. And I went to see him. And uh, I told him, oh, you know, I wrote him a letter, trying to, you know, cheer him up a little bit and so on. I said, ah, you know, things happen. Bo Hashem, you're okay, this, that, the other thing. He goes, no, I'm, I'm fine. I said, why? It's kapat avonot, all of us. He goes, no, no. He tells me, no, 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 I don't have any avonot. I went in there clean. I have no problems at all. It's probably your avonot, he tells me. It's probably you guys. It's probably all your avonot. I'm, I'm preparing for you. I didn't know how to respond. He told me that something happened to him because of other people's avonot. People of Mash don't see the right, the, 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 the wrong in themselves. So the same thing that we call punishment is actually mercy from Hashem, but sometimes that mercy has to become more powerful and more painful because we are so ingrained, we've ingrained the sin into our blood system to such an extent that Hashem has to literally take it out. Now the Mikhtab Mi'eliyahu says that people sin 
when things that are not allowed, when prohibited behavior does not seem totally unacceptable. But typically, people do not commit acts that are universally regarded as abhorrent. Meaning, saying Lashon Ara is not really viewed as something that is so terrible. Not viewed as a so terrible, even though it should be. Especially if you learn Chafetz Chaim. But most people don't think of it as such a big deal. Why? Usually t- start a conversation like, yeah, I got a juicy, good juicy story for you. I got a juicy story for you about who? Yeah, you know that one? That, that, I'm not going to say any names. You know that one over there in that street? You know that one? That number? 243? That one? Yeah, I know something about it. But I'm not going to say any names. I'm not going to say any names. You know, husband's a rabbi. I'm going to say something. I'm not going to say any names. So, we don't view it as so bad. But if you tell people, why don't you uh, eat a person, be cannibal, ah, relax, what do you think The truth is that this type of behavior leads to bigger and bigger sins. When we start making some sins as something that's not really so unacceptable, it's okay, it's not such a big deal, the next generation makes it acceptable. The next generation makes it much, much worse. Now, here we see a situation where we live in a generation where in previous generations they didn't think it was such a big deal to speak Musa. It said you should speak Musa, you should speak other things and so on and so forth. Little by little, Musa fell out of favor because that's the only way to help people do tshuva. To such an extent that in this generation... People literally fight against Musab. You tell them you send CDs for free so they don't have to spend any money. It's like, no, no. We don't allow Musar inside our shuls. We don't teach Musar. There's actually a video by Chabad. Why doesn't Chabad teach Musab? There's actually a Chabad rabbi that called a lecture. It's a three, four minute uh, waste of time lecture that tells them why doesn't Chabad teach Musab? By the way, what that means is that that Chabad guy doesn't actually know what Chabad is because Chabad was built on Musal. It's called Tanya. Tanya is all Musal. There's no one that's more stringent on Musar in that generation than the Tanya. But they skipped that part. Why? Because Musal means you're going to tell people that they're wrong. Telling people that they're wrong is not good for business. Sometimes people care more about the, the in God we trust on a dollar bill than the God we trust in Shemaim. So we've gone to a generation where Musar is something we don't want to listen to, we run away from, to such an extent that when you see somebody doing something wrong, you don't say a single thing. And that Rabotai is a sin against the Torah. To such an extent that Hashem Ibarach wrote it in the book of Joshua, here we see that even though it was Achan, Achan admitted, Achan admitted that he actually stole. And not only did he steal, he stole on Shabbat. Not only did he steal consecrated property, he stole it on Shabbat. So Hashem said, that's why he killed 36 soldiers. Why? Because other people saw him steal. And they didn't say anything to Achan. 
So if him disrespecting the Torah, disrespecting Hashem, disrespecting Yeshua Benun, that said, this property is forbidden from you. Don't touch it. He actually had a whole announcement on it. Don't touch this property. It's not for you. And Achan says, yeah, nobody else touched it, but I said, let me help myself a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. They're not going to notice. So when you disrespected Yeshua ben Nun, when you respected the Torah, when you respected Hashem, that was bad enough. That was bad enough. But when other people saw you do it and they didn't do anything, that means it's become ingrained in society that it's not so bad to steal. It's not so bad to disrespect the rabbi. It's not so bad to disrespect the Torah. It's not so bad to disrespect Hashem. For that, I had to kill people. For that... Now we have a serious problem. When one person sins in hiding, he wants to be a homosexual in the closet, that's already bad. But when he goes and he does a gay parade, now we see this is engraved in society. Now we have a cancer. Now Hashem Hashem has to bring some serious damage to society to make us realize you have to do tshuva. Or you're all going to Gehenom. Because if you're not going to, if he did the sin, that's one thing. But if you saw it and you let it go like it's not a big deal, that means that to you it's not so bad to go against the Shem. That means it's either you or your son or your daughter are going to go against the Shem anyway. At some point, next week, next month, next year, or next year, something's going to happen. It's become ingrained in society. That's why says, that's why this sin is such a big deal. That's why people go to Gainom for it. Why? Because it's not that you just didn't say anything, you somebody sinned. No, no, no. That means you actually thought it's not so bad. That's why you didn't say anything. You saw somebody drive on Shabbat, ah, let him drive. What's my problem? He's driving on Shabbat. Yes, it is your problem he's driving on Shabbat. And the fact that you don't know it, that's why people have to die. That's why there's so much punishment. That's why there's all these crashes. That's what Rabbi Yonah is trying to teach us. That's the scary part, Rabbi When You must rebuke your brother. It's not even for your brother, it's for you, it's for your kids, it's to save yourself. But yet, we teach in the streets, we teach in the schools, we teach in our prayers. No, don't rebuke, nobody knows how to rebuke anymore. Oh, so I can just let him be a Mechalel Shem Shamayim regularly, just let him kill himself, let him kill his family, let him kill society. Rebuking your brother is saving yourself. At least, oh, I tried. I did something. I told him. I gave him a CD. I invited him to a lecture. I sent him a link. I did something. I supported Kiruv. I did something. But if a person is too arrogant, when he thinks, no, 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 I'm already doing all the mitzvot. I'm doing the mitzvot. I'm good. I learned Torah. I watched you. I donate a little bit to, 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 to the uh, yeshiva. I donate a little bit to the big Knesset. I donate to the homeless a little bit. I make challah for my neighbor. I'm good. And he sees his brother still mechalel Shabbat. He doesn't say anything. He sees his sister, his neighbor, is still mechalel Shabbat. He doesn't say anything. Why? I'm good. I'm okay. You're not okay. That means you're azpanim. That means you're worse than what you thought. Not only you're not okay, you're azpanim. You're too arrogant to even realize you have a problem. So that's why Rabotai... Yehuda ben Tamaz says, but the shame-faced, the Boshet Panim le Gan Eden. The Boshet Panim is a person that's a real Jew. 
The person that's a real Jew always understands, I have more work to do. I didn't do enough. It's not that he has no confidence. It's not that he is pessimistic. Chas v'shalom. It's not allowed to be pessimistic. That means you have no emunah. The person that ate today, worried about tomorrow, about where he's going to get money from, Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkonus, says he has a ktona emunah, he has no emunah, he has little emunah, he has little baby emunah. You ate today, why are you worried about tomorrow? Well, it's not, I don't have a retirement plan. Who says you're going to live to retirement? Live to today. Live today. Tomorrow we'll get to tomorrow. But a person that is shamefaced, meaning a person that's bushet panim, person that's humble, he goes to he goes to Ganeden. Why he goes to Ganeden? Because he knows I have to do tshuva every day. Yeah, what about yesterday's tshuva? Yes, yeah, good. I did tshuva yesterday. I have to do today also. Because why? Would you have time to do sins? I don't know. I don't know if I have time to do sins. But I know I'm in this world because I have to do tshuva. If I didn't have to do tshuva, I wouldn't be here. I would be already in olam emit. If you didn't have to do tshuva, if I didn't have to do tshuva right now, if there wasn't something to fix, Hashem will just take you in the Shema and says, okay, Moshe Rabbeinu, ni Yeron. But that means you're here. Why? There's some avonot you have to fix. There's something you have to do. Someone that's boshet panim, someone that's humble, someone that's humble in front of his creator, he's, I'm here to work. Adam la'amal yulah, the person came here to work. That's uh, the prophet Job said. That's the only way you're going to get to Gan Eden. That's the only way you're going to get to Gan Eden. Understanding that you have a lot of work to do. You have to use all of these bad character traits for the good. All of the time you have to learn and to publicize Torah. And that's why he continues and he says, May it be your will Hashem our God and the God of our forefathers that the holy temple be rebuilt speedily in our days and grant us our share in your Torah. It says here, a prayer. In essence, this is a prayer. He's adding a prayer to a Mishnah. Why are you adding a prayer to a Mishnah? Here we see that any person that understands the very basic minimum of the Torah understands there's reward, there's suffering. There's punishment. There's, 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 there's reward and punishment as part of a principle of faith, but also there's an eventual and inevitable salvation. It's a bit of mikdash. Hashem wants each one of us to get only reward, both in this world and the next. Hashem doesn't want to give us punishment, but He has to use as a tool in order to get to the reward. Where is the ultimate reward? When the salvation, the ultimate salvation comes, Bet mikdash is built, Mashiach comes, Gan Eden, Olam Abba, all of that. A person needs to constantly have that prize in his mind in order to get to where he's supposed to be. If you don't have the Bet HaMikdash in mind, you're not going to get there. If you don't think about Bet HaMikdash, you don't think about Mashiach, you don't think about all those things eventually happening, you're simply not going to get there. Why? Because your mind is somewhere else. A person needs to make sure that his focus is on the prize, the ultimate prize, because if you're thinking that eventually... You're going to meet your maker. Eventually, you're going to have to pay the bill. Eventually, you're going to get a reward. Eventually, you're going to get a punishment for whatever you do. If something's going to happen at the end, that means that each one of the steps that you take will act accordingly. It's always going to be adjusted. Okay, you know what? It's not really worth it to make this sin. Why? Because then I'm going to, I'm going to lose Gan Eden. It's just, it's just not worth it. It's not worth to lose Gan Eden for this, this five minutes of pleasure. We're not saying it's not pleasurable. It is. 
That's the test. But it's not worth it. A boshet panim, a person that's humble, that's shamefaced. The Gemara Masechet Nedarim, page 20, says that one who, per, who, uh, who possesses this trait, he's not going to sin. He's not going to easily sin. He'll sin sometimes, but not easily like the uh, Azpanim. The Azpanim is sinning constantly because he thinks he's always right. The Boshet Panim, he's constantly questioning himself. He's constantly questioning himself. Not that he thinks he's always wrong, but he knows what's right and wrong, and he possesses a trait that he knows that if he does something wrong, it's almost like self-conscious. Well, he knows that if he's wrong, this is going to cost him. Not just in Shemaim, but people are going to know him as a sinner, as a Mechalet Shabbat. They're not going to want to play with his kids. They're not going to want to marry them. They're not going to include him in Minyan. Meaning he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed of all these things. And that is a sign that he has Sechel. When a person has Busha, he has Sechel. When a person has shame, that is, the, that is a sign that he has some type of wisdom. If you remember, in Sefer Bereshit, after Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, what did they say? They realized, they realized that they were naked. Why didn't you realize you were naked before you ate from the tree? Why didn't you realize you were naked? You were naked before, nothing changed. You ate from a tree, well, the tree told you you're, you're naked. Hey, look at you. Well, the tree tell you, hey, look, uh, you should put some uh, skirt on. Well, how do you know you were naked? You ate from a tree of knowledge. The main knowledge that Adam and Chava received was Busha. Shame. They got shame. As soon as they got shame, they realized, ooh, look at us, we're naked. If a person has no shame, he has no sechil. There's no knowledge. All the knowledge he has is superficial nonsense. He's like a, an animal. An animal is not... You're never going to see a monkey or a gorilla or a giraffe embarrassed that it's not, it doesn't have any pants on. You're never going to see the lion staying in, in, in the cage. doesn't want to come out say hi to all the fans. No, no. Until you guys put jeans on me, I'm not coming out. Give me the one some Levi's. You know, the 501 with the red. I'm not coming out until you put jeans on me. A little rip on the right on the right knee. A little rip on the right knee. Bushara Botai is a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of wisdom. A person who possesses this trait also leads himself to be surrounded by righteous people. Why? Because he knows that being surrounded by sinners, by wicked people. He's going to eventually sin and other people are going to think he's the same as them. He thinks about these things. Who am I friends with? Who do I hang out with? He doesn't hang out with the, uh, with the village drunk. Why? Because he says, maybe they're going to think I'm drunk too. And the Rambam says that Busha, having a, a sense of, uh, of shame is one of the greatest gifts that God gave to Am Yisrael. As we learn in the Gemara Masechet Yevamot, page 97a, there are three traits that identified the characteristics of a Ben Avram, somebody that's one of the descendants of Avram Avinu. One of them is compassion, being compassionate. Another one is being kind. 
And the third one is being, being shame, having shame. If you don't have one of these, you should actually question whether you're actually a Jew. To that extent, the Gemara says, there's something wrong. When a couple wants to get a divorce, that means they were never connected in the first place. Because Chava came from Adam. In essence, when Adam saw Chava, he saw, that's my wife. If you look at your wife and say, that's my wife. And you know that you're not going to disrespect your wife, and you're not going to disrespect your husband, and you're not going to hate your wife, and you're not going to hate your husband, and you're not going to do anything wrong to them on purpose, and you're going to do nothing wrong to them because it's like doing something wrong to yourself. It's like punching yourself in the teeth. You're not going to do such a thing because then they're going to send you to a mental institution. That means that you're one. That means that you're one. That means you're like Adam and Chava. But if you're thinking, ah, you know what, maybe I should get a divorce. You didn't get a divorce. You're just thinking, maybe I should get a divorce because I don't like her attitude. Maybe I should get a divorce. This guy looks like he's better for me. Maybe I should get a divorce. Maybe this, all this. If you're thinking like that, that means you would never won. You're like the Goyim, the Noahides. They don't have to have a wedding. They're together, next day they go somewhere else. There's no dean of being married when you're a Noahide. So when a person starts to understand that he has to have these good midot, this, uh, he has to use the good ones like being shamefaced for good, he, have, he has to even use the bad ones like brazenness, like arrogance, like boldness for good also, he realizes that all of this has an ultimate purpose. What is the ultimate purpose? The ultimate purpose is to have a Shemit Barach, build the, the Bet HaMikdash and give us a piece of his Torah. So the question that each one of us has to ask is what did I do today to bring Mashiach? When you prayed in Amidah today, did you pray for a car, a house, money, food? Uh, what did you pray for? Did you pray at any chance did you pray for Mashiach? At any chance did you pray for the Bet HaMikdash? Like, if you say, oh yeah, Mashiach is going to come. Oh good, Mashiach, yeah, I'll solve all my problems. I won't have to pay all the loans. Uh, you know, the, the, the mortgage, but thank God that's going to be gone. Is that what you think of Mashiach, like his social security office? Like people always scream in the streets, Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. Okay, so what, what, why do you want Mashiach to come? Why? Why do you want Mashiach to come? You scream Mashiach every day. Why? So you can pay your loans, like he's uh, the, the, the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, after the uh, crash of 2008? What do you think? What, what's, why do you want Mashiach to come? To pay your college loans? To maybe give you a new wife, maybe give you a new husband because you're tired of the one you have. Maybe pay the, the bills, the college tuition for your kids. What? What's the? Oh, maybe improve your diet plan, make you skinny overnight, make you fat overnight, whatever you like. Why? Why do you want the Mashiach to come? When you pray for him, why do you want him to come? Everybody says I want Mashiach to come for what? Do you know what's going to happen when Mashiach comes? This Rabotai is one of the things that we're obligated to do. We have to think about these things. Because if you want Mashiach to come, that means that you have to do something about it. You have to do something about it to bring Mashiach. Every time you bring a child to the world, if you're going to raise this child in a kosher way, send a kosher yeshiva, be a ben Torah, be a bat Israel, kshorah, teorah, 
You're helping bring the Mashiach. Because the Gemara says that the Mashiach is not going to come until all of the Neshamot get out of the goof. What's the goof? The goof is a heavenly place in Shemaim that all of the Neshamot are there. And until all of it is emptied out, Mashiach can't come. So if you bring a child to the world and you're not one of these fools that doesn't want to get pregnant because you don't have money. You bring a child to the world, that means you're helping bring the Mashiach. You're helping bring the Mashiach. You help your friend do tshuva, you help your enemy do tshuva, you help him bring the Mashiach. So then you can say, yeah, you know what, not only I prayed, I said Mashiach, 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 I did something about it. But if you're just going to say Mashiach, 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 but don't do anything about it, it's better off you don't say anything. Because that's not Judaism. Judaism is not just saying things. Judaism, Torah, is doing things. Saying and doing. Doing. Doing is more important than even saying. And that's why, Rabotai, this is important for each and every single one of us to know, to understand, to apply. The, the line between Gan Eden and Gehenom is very, very thin. The same tools that are given to the tzaddik, are given to the rasha. There's no difference. Same tools. You both have an opportunity to go to Gan Eden. You both have an opportunity and a risk to go to Gainum. You both have that opportunity. All of the good things that you have can be used to go to Gan Eden or can be spoiled and go to Gainum. That's the difference. That's what Yehuda ben Tema is trying to tell us. I told you about all the things you should do to honor Hashem, but you could also use those things to destroy everything. It's important for us to know that each one of us was gifted something. We're gifted. You each gifted something. He gave you a talent. He gave you money. He gave you wife. He gave you kids. He gave you a pen. Write with the pen. He gave you a mind. Think with the mind. He gave you Gemara. Read the Gemara. He gave you a rabbi. Listen to the rabbi. He gave you a wife. Respect her. He gave you kids. Spend some time with them. Use the gifts that he gave you to honor his name. And Bezat Hashem, this will help us honor His name because His name is the only thing that should be honored in this world, Bezat Hashem. Any questions? Same price. There are two opinions about Christianity. The common opinion is that Christianity is idolatry. In that case, it's the same or worse as atheism. If it's idolatry, like the common opinion is, then it's the same or worse as atheism. Because atheism, in essence, is the same as idol worship. Even though they're not necessarily praying to an idol itself, they're, in essence, dictating their own world as if they're God, like Paro did. Paroh thought he was God. That's why when Moshe Rabbeinu said, uh, Hashem said such and such, Paroh says, who's this Hashem that I should listen to him? Who's this Hashem that I should listen to him? Meaning he thought he was God. 
So an atheist is a very religious person. He's religious at believing in himself. And fighting anything that contradicts what he believes. If the religious people of Am Yisrael were as zealous as the atheists, all of Am Yisrael would have done tshuva. Because the average atheist is very zealous. He wants to make sure everybody knows he's an atheist. And everybody checks themselves and says, why don't you believe? Why do you believe in this? And Why don't you believe what I believe? I have a guy on my YouTube for the last couple of months. I can't seem to block him. This guy, Daniel T or something. And every time there's a comment, he always says, why do you believe in God? Do you ever ask yourself, why, like, why do you watch my videos if you're an atheist? Atheists are the most, by far, the most zealous people on the planet. They want to make sure everybody knows they're, they're, they're an atheist. They want to make sure that everybody is an atheist. So they believe in a religion. If the religious people that say they believe in God, worshipped God and worked God, like the atheists believe in themselves, all of Am Yisrael would have done Shuvah and Mashiach would have arrived. So, it's also a form of idolatry. Christianity, on the other hand, real Christians are also very zealous. But they're zealous in spreading their belief, not necessarily in doing things. Their belief is based on just very few things. Number one, you continue being a loser for the rest of your life, being a murderer, a thief, uh, a liar, uh, a womanizer, and everything else, because some moron died 2,000 years ago. Because he was also a Noef, a Mamzer, a Ganav, a Rasha, and everything else, just like you. So you figure that 1 plus 1 equals 17. So it's a, uh, they figured that we're just like this, you know, he was a Mamzer, we're going to be Mamzerim, and therefore everything's okay. Kumbaya. So that's belief number one in Christianity. Belief number two, give a lot of money to the pastor, the church, the, uh, the priest, the uh, evangelist, uh, uh, missionaries, and so on and so forth. Give them a lot of money. Make them rich. Why? It says somewhere in this Torah that you should give tzedakah. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna pretend like we're following the Torah by giving tzedakah. It also says don't, uh, you know, violate Shabbat. It also says don't eat taref. It also says don't eat pork. It also says a lot of other things. No, no, that stuff's not for us. For the Jews. So belief number two is that we pick and choose our mitzvot, and one of them is. To give staka because staka makes you look righteous. That's why everyone gives staka when they're arrogant. Arrogant people give a lot of staka. Why? Because they want to make everybody know I'm the best. Oh, you don't know I'm the best? I'm going to show you I'm the best. See that building? Who do you think built it? Huh? Who do you think Jones? I'm Jones. I'm the Jones. I'm Jones. Ah, it's a Jones. I'm a, I'm a Jones, not just any Jones. So they want to make sure that everybody knows he spe- he, he gives a million dollars in. Staka, but he spends two million advertising it. An arrogant person gives a lot of money. Why? Because he wants to make sure everybody knows that he's a tzaddik. So the second thing that the Christians do is they give a fortune. So it makes the church look like they're righteous. They give millions and millions of dollars to places in Israel. So to the naive and the fools in Israel, they think, oh look, the Christians, they're like our brothers. The big brother is helping the, the younger brother. Look, they have more money, they have more this. Yeah, did you forget they've been murdering us for 2,000 years? Did you forget they're still murdering us now even worse by, by stealing neshamot, Jewish neshamot, and putting them back in the church, calling it Messianic Judaism? Did you forget that? 
Do you forget that? Do you forget that every week hundreds of Jews convert to Christianity because they don't know anything about Judaism? So some guy tells him, look, there's some suffering servant that mentioned something that sounds like suffering and sounds like servant and we connected it and somewhere else and we called it Isaiah 53 and therefore that means J.T. Penny. And by the way, you don't have to change anything just other than give us money. So ignorant fools fall for this and the ones that are not ignorant, the ones that know Torah are still acting like fools. Why? Because they see money from the church coming to the community. They built a school, they built a building, they built a community and so on. It's like, look, they're donating money for people to come to Eretz Israel. They must be good because they have money. No, they're just recruiting. It's called marketing. So, the other mitzvah that the church does is that. Which is not a mitzvah, but point is, it's part of their mission. The third is to missionize. To go recruit, go tell people about J.C. Penney. Why? Why should you tell people about J.C. Penney? Because uh, it'll justify your sins. You're going to be a sinner anyway. You're gonna, you, know, you cheated on your wife last week, you'll cheat on her next week anyway. You stole last week, most likely you'll steal again. It's not the last time you stole. So might as well... Let us, let us at least pretend between each other that we have a get-out-of-jail-free card. We'll believe in this guy. It's justifying our sins in the name of religion, in the name of, of, of something holy. There's one time a story where a uh, priest comes to a rabbi and says, do me a favor, watch my church for the next month. And the rabbi says, no, no, it's not for me, it's not for me. No, no, come on, do it for me, I'll give you, a, it's a good deal. What's the deal? All the money that you collect, keep it. He says, only one condition. If you don't ask me how I got it and how much I got. He says, yeah, sure, I don't care. I've been dealing with this church for 30 years. I know how much you're going to get and how you got it. So, no problem. A month goes by. He comes back. And he sees the rabbi. He's like, oh, he gives him back the keys. And he says to him, no, so how was it? It's good. How much money did you get? Yeah, that was our deal. I told you, not part of the deal. Don't tell me how much. No, 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 come on, come on, how much? He goes, pay me five million, I'll tell you. What? Five million. He says, okay, you got it. If it's, uh, if it's what I think it is, fine, you got it. What, what, how, how much you get? He says, I got $50 million. He says, excuse me? $50 million? I've been running this church for 40 years. I haven't gathered $50 million in one month ever. Maybe in a year, maybe in two years. $50 million? How'd you get $50 million in one month? He says, ah, that's going to cost you another $5 million. He says, okay, no, 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 how, how much? He said, listen, you have this little, uh, little cubicle over there in your, in, your, in your church. People come over there, they spill their guts, they say they sinned, they murdered, they killed, they this, they cheated, they lied, they do all these things. So all day I'm sitting over there, people come tell me their stuff. So I said to them, the guy said, Oh, listen, I, uh, I stole from this guy. What should I do? I said, you know what? What did, what did the priest tell you last time? He said, last time I did it, uh, you know, he told me to give, uh, do a couple of prayers, Hail Mary uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and Steve Austin or something, and, and, and some other, some other uh, you know, Smurfs type of prayer. And then on top of it, give uh, $1,500 to the church. I said, okay, listen. 
if you did it last month and you came and he told you 1500 so obviously now it's a little worse. You agree? Because yeah, for sure. And most likely, if you did it last month, you did it again, most likely you're addicted to it by now. Most likely you're going to do it again next month, right? He goes, yeah, most likely. He says, if you're going to do it next month, that means you're even more addicted next month. You're probably going to do it again even the month after that. He says, why don't we do this? Let's make a deal. Instead of you just coming here every month embarrassing yourself, why don't you just, let's just call today. Give me 100,000. Call today. You don't have to come back anymore. Do whatever you want. He says, wow, you're the best priest in the world. He says, that was your whole kela. Everybody prepaid me their sins for the next 20 years. Rabotaya Karim, when you're trying to buy your way to Gan Eden, you realize that when you get to Gan Eden, it was just Gainum in disguise. There's no free lunch. So whether a person's an atheist or a Christian or some other form of idolater, doesn't make a difference. They're all in serious, serious trouble. They're all one form or another of Kfirah and Hashem, of heresy. It really doesn't matter which one is worse. I personally think that Christianity is more dangerous because it sounds similar in a sense, and they say that they're basing their religion about on ours. But honestly, after seeing so many atheists in my life, in the Jewish world, I'm starting to think that atheism is even more of a danger because atheism is even a disease within the religious world. You actually have religious people that go to Beknesset but don't believe in God. And they're only waiting for their ticket out of their house or out of their marriage or out of their job or community to completely abandon everything. Meaning it's a off the derech waiting to happen. So I don't know which one is worth. I think Christianity is, but it doesn't really make a difference. Next. Yeah. All of it is. All of it is. Anything that's Furthers Am Yisrael from Tshuva, furthers Am Yisrael from doing things of Kedusha, furthers Am Yisrael from bringing the salvation, bringing the Mashiach, is all the work of the Satan, that's his job. He's the resistance. He's the resistance because that's his job. That's why there's a reward. If there was no, if there was no resistance, there would be no reward. So his job is to get in the way of each person trying to do tshuva. But at the same token, a person should know, the Gemara says that the Satan likes tzaddikim. He was friends with several of them. He was friends with several tzaddikim in the Gemara. Uh, the whole Masechet Genom that we have in Rashid Chochmah is from a friendship that he had with the tzaddikim. We know it from there. He, he showed him Genom and so on. So the point is, is that uh, he wants us to succeed, but his job is still to put hurdles in our way. Next. Same price? Discount? Half off. Okay, it's late tonight. Bezot Hashem. Next week, we, uh, I'm going to be in New York. There's going to be a lot of lectures, Bezot Hashem. I'm going to try my best to put all of them on Facebook Live. And if not on Facebook Live, then they'll be on the uh, internet the following day. Uh, but it should be Bezot Hashem. Uh, if you pray enough for us, we'll have the merits to uh, have all these shurim on uh, Facebook Live. Anyone that wants to uh, sponsor CD, sponsor a lecture, uh, you know, do any type of contribution to to the tour, to anything, this would be the time. Uh, simply because all of these shurim, all of these uh, uh, plans, we don't take any money for it. You know, so uh, just like uh, Rabbi Asher over here can tell you, 
when we were setting up the lecture for New York, when last time I came to New York, we didn't say, no, it's going to cost this, it's going to cost that. No, we're coming, and if there's people there, and if they want to listen to why, it's good. And if they want to listen to why, and they want to donate, even better. But they don't want to donate, they still want to listen to why, it's perfect anyway. That's how we set up our trips. Why? Because it's Ratzon Hashem. We don't have enough time to have an accounting department to, uh, to assess whether you're paying me enough, you're not paying me enough, you're not paying me this, you're not paying me that. Because the reality is, I'm too arrogant to give you a price. That's the, this, this shoe, that's what I told you, the shoe is for me. Because I remember my last time I charged somebody was $3,000 an hour. So somebody says, why don't you give us a lecture? I say, okay, so minimum it's going to be is $9,600. Because they speak for three hours. And then there's questions after. By t- and then there's driving there, driving there. By the time I'm finished, it's probably seven, eight hours a lecture. Seven, eight hours a lecture. Okay, so 24, you know what? I'll give you a discount. 20000 a lecture. So you understand? So we say, so Hashem is giving us the tikkun. It's either 24000 or it's free. Okay, you know what? I'll have 24000 mitzvot in Shemaim instead. Bezat Hashem, all of us will have mitzvot, all of us will do tshuva, complete tshuva, work on our good midot and our bad midot. And Bezat Hashem, sanctify Hashem's name from here until the Mashiach Tzidkenu will arrive. Amen ve'amen. Amen.